Happy Monday, everyone. Welcome to GoFiFi Break on Unsafe Space. Today's Monday, August 3rd. Uh, um, your host, Carter Laren, joined by your co-host, Carrie Smith. There she is. Hi, guys. Happy Monday. Uh, you were uh, fuzzy for a second, but now you're a little bit clearer. Good. Maybe it was just me. Okay. Check my settings. Uh, as a reminder to everyone, thank you. Uh, you fully funded our trip to... Better Discourse Conference in Wisconsin in mid-August, so we're going to go do that, and we're going to collect some footage while we're there, and um, I don't know, do crazy things, I guess, as crazy as we can. I'm sure there'll be at least some tendencies towards intermittent frivolity, although I can't guarantee too much on my end, but I'm sure Carrie will bring fun, so mm -hmm. uh, fun will definitely be had. Um, if you want to support the show, you can subscribe on YouTube for as long as we're on the platform. You can also go to unsafespace.com and put in your email address. We actually haven't ever emailed anyone from there. It's predominantly we're collecting it. So uh, when we do disappear into the YouTube memory hole, we'll have a way to <laughs> way to reach out to you. Uh, we may send a newsletter once in a while, but we haven't yet. Um, and you can also support us by going to subscribestore.com and becoming a subscriber and getting your names listed in the credits. If you want, I think that's everything. Uh, yeah, any? Am I forgetting any? Uh... No, we have book club coming up August twenty oh, third. Yes, so those of you who haven't started yet, you better get started. We're reading Atlas Shrugged, and you can be a part of the conversation uh, on camera. Just email speak at unsafespace.com. Let us know you want to be in the discussion, or you can be in the chat like today. You don't have to be on camera. Right. So. Right. Uh, you just sent me a Twitter thing. Do you want to start with start with what you said? Yeah, I'd like to start with this, if you don't mind. Can you yeah. pull this up? Yeah, um, sure. Hold on for a second. Let me... All right. Can you see it? Uh, I can't see it yet, but yes, there it is. Okay. Can you read the first one? Because it's not on my screen fully yet, so yep. I can't see it. I'm just zooming in a little bit so everyone can see it better. This is a tweet from Christopher F. Rufo, whom I don't know, but... He says, Seattle's Office of Civil Rights has developed a race and social justice curriculum for all 10,000 city employees. Uh-oh. I've, uh, I've obtained new documents from the city's segregated whites-only trainings, which induct white employees into the cult of critical race theory. A thread. So okay. I, I want to <laughs> highlight this because this is uh, for a few reasons. I'm... I'm still hearing from a lot of people who are new to trying to understand what this belief system is. And I think a lot of people are naive about where this is going. Uh, and they're also think that it's something that maybe is confined just to colleges or to uh, cities like Seattle or California, places in California, which is not true. It's everywhere now. It's in my small town in Texas. Um, if this isn't already trying to make its way into your school board, into your kid's school, into your workplace, into the city council, into um, all the levels of, of local government, like it, it's going to start moving in there. And so one benefit of watching it unfold in places that have already progressed further along, like Seattle, is that we can figure out maybe which methods are best for fighting it and how to tackle it. So I wanted to just highlight some of his tweets. So again, for people who are new to this, um, it it is, I know I've, I know I've said this before, but just I know there are people new watching still trying to wrap their head around it. This ideology is rank. <laughs> it's rank. 
It's it, it, oh, you I thought you were going to qualify that. Just rank generally. <laughs> just rank. You can't let a part of it in. If you let a part of it in, the whole thing comes in and you're beholden to it. It it It's the kind of thing, like Carter said, made a joke before about vampires. It's like a vampire that you have to invite in. But once you've invited it in, it starts to own you. So I just want to highlight this thread so maybe we can help un- help people understand a little bit what it is so that when it does come to their small town or their um, school board or wherever it shows up, they know what it is and they can talk about it with comfort and ease and not feel like on the spot or uh, not feel blindsided by it. So uh, in Seattle, his next tweet says the training is called internalized racial superiority for white people. Okay. First of all, uh, this sounds like this sounds like a, a indoctrination seminar that white supremacists might also enjoy going I did, to. The title is very um, grand mastery. <laughs> yeah, very grand mastery. And you have to think about what it is that they are selling and pushing and what reality they are creating by teaching people this, by teaching people that uh, white people are are racially superior, that they believe they're racially superior. Why, why would you want to push that idea? It's insane. Um, but so it also reminds me of when we read ordinary men for book club, uh, which was about reserve battalion 101 during the Holocaust. It was a battalion of reserve police officers who were sent to Poland to start killing mass mass killings of Jewish people. And it's sort of the second half of the book gets into the analyzes how you can get ordinary people to do evil things against fellow humans. And so one of the things they did is they talked about how Hitler Hitler required these kind of indoctrination seminars and workshops. They had to go to these same kind of things that are now being pushed in your workplace and at the schools and in your city council and at your school board. They went to things that were called uh, race as the basis of your worldview. Hey, guess what? For this ideology, race is also the basis of the worldview. So anyway, he says, so the training is called internalized racial superiority for white people. After attendees arrive, they must announce their pronouns and tell the trainers when they first became race conscious. In other words, when they began their journey of internalized racism. Um, When did you stop beating your wife or whatever? When did you stop beating your wife? When did you become a racist? Exactly. Can you explain what that rhetorical trick is, what that uh, fallacy is there? Sure. You're um, I forget the the Latin name, but you're um, you're basically just assuming a premise, right? You're assuming the conclusion. Like I'm assuming that you. So when you ask someone, when did you stop beating your wife? Well, the, the, the presumption is that you were beating your wife at some point and you stopped. Yes. Right. So the presumption here is that. You are a racist. When did you start your racist journey? There's no there's no option left for not being a racist or anything like that. It's yes. just, hey, you must be a racist. When did that start? Right. Which is so, which is only a fallacy if we go by uh, logic, reason and all of the Western patriarchal ways of knowing. But yeah. yes. Yes. So- that's important to notice. Now, when you're, if you're in one of these kind of trainings or if you're fighting it in your kid's school or in your workplace, don't let them get away with these kind of presuppositions, with these kind of loaded questions. They force you to accept their faulty premise, which they haven't proved, in the question itself. So don't answer this question or point out what they're doing. It's similar you know, to like a can, false alternative, right? If someone's like, mm-hmm. would you like a milkshake or a coffee? 
I'm like, well, there's many other things to drink. Like you don't, those aren't your two choices yeah. in the universe, right? But yeah. like that's, they, they phrase, it's a very similar kind of fallacy. And those two combined happen a lot, a lot, because it's a way of framing the narrative that I know we've talked about, Scott Adams talks about this and Cernovich talks about this. You framing the narrative really controls the discussion, and because it's and it's it's an insidious way to control the discussion. Because now you're not talking about whether you're racist; you're just talking about the specifics of how you became racist. Yes, they're like, they're like, when did you first start? Uh, when did you first realize that you love strawberry milkshakes? Exactly. Well, uh, <laughs> maybe I don't love strawberry milkshakes. I actually don't okay. love strawberry milkshakes. <laughs> All right. Do you okay. want to keep scrolling to the next one? Yeah. So, well, one other quick thing here. Some people mm. in the chat asked about pronouns. So what is what could pronouns possibly have to do with this racist indoctrination they're trying to bring you into? Pronouns is a great tip off that you are you are stepping into a um, religious space. And, and this ideology functions like a religion. It is one of the sacred parts of their religion. So social justice ideology is a, it's a new form of Marxism. It's what Marxism of old, the ones that you may be familiar with said that the best way to view the world was as a struggle between, um, class groups for wealth. And they believed in redistributing class. So this kind of Marxism, this new identity kind of Marxism says the best way to view the world is as a struggle between identity groups for power and they believe in redistributing power. Okay. But it's, it's, it functions in the same way. They've swapped out class for identity and they've swapped out wealth for power, but it's Marxism. Um, in this Marxist ideology, there's lots of different doors you can take to get into it. So I went in through the feminism door. But then you get indoctrinated into all of it. So I went in through the identity door of feminism. People go in through the so-called anti-racism door. They go in through the critical race door. Um, they can also go in through the trans door or the LGBT door. So it's all one thing. That's why when you start to see, you're like, wait a minute, this is about race. What's pronouns doing here? That's because it's all the same ideology. And pronouns is a, fat, a quick way for them to... Um, again, it's like a re re religious ritual. If they can get you to participate, you're already inviting the vampire in. You've already, it's like, give your pronouns. Uh, you might think that it's enough just to say, well, woman, clearly my pronouns are her and she, no, I would refuse outright refuse to give my, if you can't tell what my pronouns are like this, frankly, I, I'm surprised we're able to get any work done here at all. Like, <laughs> I would feel like. <laughs> I'm not giving my pronouns. As my friend said, my pronouns are F and U. Nice. <laughs> so. Or I've heard you can also just say your majesty. That's my pronoun. Yeah. Uh, you may refer to me as your majesty. your majesty. Right. Don't participate. Don't give them your pronouns. That's absurd. They're forcing you to participate by doing that, to participate in their ritual. If you go to Twitter, one of the first things you'll notice, people who are in this cult of belief in the social justice Marxism, uh, in this ideology, they all have their pronouns in their bio. It's like putting, for a Christian, it would be like maybe putting a cross in your bio to let people know that you're a Christian. They put their pronouns in their bio to let you know that they are part of this woke cult. Yeah. Um, and so that's I'm, why that's fair. I'm glad you brought that up though, because I, there's another story later I wanna talk about, and I noticed the same thing. It is, it is, if you come in through race and see pronouns, or if you come in through trans issues and you see race issues, that's why it's all, you're all, you're. You're at the same Marxist endpoint. Yeah, great, great point. You're gonna and 
you're going to start to see. And so don't be confused when it's like you come in through one door and then you're getting all of it. You know, you're going to get you're going to get all of it (laughs) and you're going to be expected to participate. And they 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 pull you in by forcing these like like these loaded questions. What are your pronouns? I'm sorry. Like, I'm not participating in this game. (laughs) You can figure out what they call me, whatever you like. You know, I'm not tell, I'm not giving you pronouns to call me. I'm not participating in the idea that we suddenly all get to pick pronouns and start changing language and to accept the underlying premise that I can just choose my biological sex right. and that it's no big deal. And, and you like, no. Um, OK, scroll down. Uh, let's see. Thank you, by the way. Mm, sure. According to the Office of Civil Rights, white employees Okay, so this is already racist because they're singling out their employees on the basis of race. This is I love how Orwellian it is, too, because it's the Office of Civil Rights doing it. Yes, it's so Orwell. Yes, it's just like in 1984, war is peace. Freedom. The Office of Civil Rights singles out employees based on race. Yes. The Ministry of Truth. Yeah. Uh, Okay, so according to the Office of Civil Rights, White employees must process their, quote, white feelings. Now, this is racist on its face. It's assuming that uh, you have feelings that are unique, that are unique to your racial group. You know who else spoke like this? Hitler. Hitler talked about, he set Jews apart and, and tried to say certain things were about, this was a Jewish thing. They are setting white people apart here. And, and what does that do? It's dehumanizing. So this looks like also, can you tell me, is this, (laughs) is this, uh, Robin D'Angelo? Like, does she use this term white? Yeah, it it seems like it is. Yeah. I intentionally didn't read her book, but. (laughs) (laughs) Your white feelings of quote, sadness, shame, paralysis, confusion, and denial, end quote. By the way, this goes back to the, uh, point we've made before about how they employ a lot of Kafka traps, like a, a circular, argument where there's no way out again like a loaded question it's if if you have any reaction to this training this this racist indoctrination other than to comply and be a part of it and willingly sacrifice yourself to this belief system then they say whatever your response is is evidence of is evidence of your guilt so uh if you either you either confess your white fragility and your white privilege if you don't confess it your act of not confessing it and whatever you s- express is evidence of your white fragility and your white privilege right uh, and, i don't want to live sorry i don't i don't live in a world like that where you're not allowed to disagree without it being evidence of your guilt. Our court system is not set up that way for a reason. Your Honor, I didn't do it. Well, he said he didn't do it. He's guilty. Right. Only a not only a guilty person would say he didn't do it. Uh, only a guilty person <laughs> would deny. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, th- there's a lot of parallels between. Uh, maybe we'll talk about this later. But there's a lot of parallels between the scientific method and scientific process and logical and rational thinking. And one of those parallels is this. It's called the null hypothesis. For the scientists in the audience, you'll know a null hypothesis is when there's a theory for which no counter evidence is possible, right? And you get to dismiss that theory as arbitrary and stupid because there's no, if no counter evidence is possible, there's no null hypothesis. There's no way to demonstrate that your theory is wrong because everything that happens that could conceivably happen is interpreted as validation of your theory. That's the scientific version of the Kafka trap. Yes. 
So let's look in. He, he says, okay, so, so according to the Office of Civil Rights in Seattle, white employees must process their, quote, white feelings of sadness, shame, paralysis, confusion, and denial, end quote. Then they must take action to, quote, redistribute resources. This is what I mentioned about how just like Marxists believed in redistributing wealth, this new kind of Marxism, identity politics-based Marxism, social justice Marxism, they believe in redistributing power. And you will start to see this word, become become familiar with this. This is what they're trying to do. They must take action to, quote, redistribute resources, change who's in power. There we go. They're telling you right there what they're doing. And alter institutions. Okay, now, do they actually, here's the funny thing about this. The people who push this, often the loudest, and the most vociferously are white people because they are trying to show that they're a good white person in this belief system. Uh, I read this awful medium piece this weekend, by the way, called uh, Dear Good White People. <laughs> this is terrible. <laughs> anyway, uh, they they are often white people. Now, do they ever give up their positions? Does Robin D'Angelo donate all the proceeds of her best-selling book, White Fragility? Do they resign? and give their place to a person of color? Do they actively do anything to redistribute power except trying to implement discriminatory practices against you, against others? No, because they're elites. They are preaching this down, they're preaching it down to you, the little person. You must be, it's like a, the movie version of Harrison Bergeron, I finally saw it, Carter. Oh. And. Yeah, there's an elite group that the rules, the new rules of the society that's designed to make everyone equal, equal outcome, right? Equity, equality of outcome. There's an elite little group who uh, protect themselves from the rules. They're not subject to their own rules. Why? Because they view themselves as morally superior, intellectually superior. It's like Animal Farm. Some animals are more equal than others. They, The pigs who set themselves apart and say, well, this applies to all of you, but not to us. As poor pigs have to... Uh, reap the benefits of this society and dictate all the rules for all of you because you need someone to tell you how how to behave. Yeah, uh, and yeah. that yeah. by the way, that's um, I just want to pause on that for a second, Carrie, because that is a rational necessity of their belief system, and and the reason for that is their belief system on its own is. Be, whenever you have a belief system that doesn't actually correspond to reality and won't really work, you can't actually live that way. You can't build a society that way. You can't actually even live your life day to day that way. It's impossible. So in order for it to perpetuate, you need to have people for whom the rules don't apply, that that they get to do something different, uh, often justified by the fact that they're perpetuating this belief system, right? But if you really believed in the tenets of Robin D'Angelo's premise, for example, or just the, the critical race theory stuff generally, if you were a white person like Robin D'Angelo, you wouldn't write a book and make money doing that. You would kill yourself. You would commit suicide. Like that's the only, yeah. there's no, I'm serious. Their own, the logical conclusion is I'm taking up space, I'm taking up resources, I will my all my possessions to Black Lives Matter, and I put a bullet in my brain. That's the only logical conclusion that you can draw from this. That's the outcome that uh, that these ideas lead to. So anything other than that, especially things that involve me accumulating wealth and rising in power through preaching this crap, that's rules applying to me that don't apply to you specifically because the the 
ideology itself is unsustainable. It doesn't correspond to reality. Um, yes. Can I just point out one other thing before we, I, I, yeah. we'll move on? But um, they use this phrase, redistribute resources. I want people to, I want people to recognize this. Um, and I want them to, cause you see it everywhere and it is a, it's, there's a philosophical error. And once you see this error, you see it all the time. So I, I want to pause and point it out. Redistribute resource. First of all, we all know it's a Marxist phrase, but redistribute resources. Just ask a very simple question. Whose resources? A very, very pernicious philosophical error and i think it's an intentional error because i think evil people developed these philosophies or did so intentionally with a with a, a mean as a as a means to an end um a very critical error is a confusion between is two things one confusion between the metaphysical and the man-made which i'll explain in a moment and two is a denial of property rights it's a denial that the pro your product is yours. There's there's no there's no sense of personal ownership, um, and that 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 uh, extends by the way to your body, right? The state owns your body in Marxism. That's they like you are owned. Not only do you not own any money in the bank or the product of your labor. If you write a poem, it's the people's poem. It's not yours. Like your body is actually owned by them. But I want to focus on this redistribution of resources things. Uh, mm -hmm. the Marxists, all the way back to actually, like, not Marx, but everyone even forward, you can see the same error if you read the Frankfurt School people. They all make the same error, um, and they use this phrase. Uh, they talk about taking, quote, society's resources and distributing them. Um, and they talk about, a, and they use words like freedom, for example, to, to they, they, they mean two things by it. Political freedom, but also freedom from consequences in reality, like freedom from having to take care of yourself and find food and shelter, right? They confuse what's called the metaphysical, which is stuff that's just here, air, uh, <laughs> like the earth, things that are here, you hear in reality, the metaphysical, it's just there. They confuse that with the man-made. And so what they say is... Um, I have a, like everything that exists, we're going to pretend like we don't know where it comes from. We're going to just pretend that it's, it's, this is why it's kind of religious. Everything is just a gift from God or a gift from the universe or a gift from whatever. It's all just here. That factory, it's just here. How is it here? No answer. iPhones, they're just here. Wealth, it's just here. Vaccines, here. MRIs, here. Things are just here. We don't ask where they come from. We don't ask what's necessary to make those things. We don't ask how to build a society where more of those things exist. We just see that they're there. And like brutes, like unthinking brutish animals, we seize them and distribute them to other people. Um, that is, that's the mentality of a savage. That is not philosophy. That is a savage, disgusting, anti-human, vile ideology. And that is one of the, key tenets of Marxism. And that's one of the things that makes, that's why when people say, well, Marxism is just, it works on paper, but not in practice. It's a great theory. It's a utopian ideal that we can never reach. No, it is not. It is not a utopian ideal. It is a vile, vile way to look at the world. Um, it is evil at its core as a principle. And that's one of the way, and you'll see it all the time. So when you see the word redistribute, and when you see them talk about resources, you'll see those kind of phrases hanging out. Ask yourself, Whose resources 
what are they assuming? And you'll find that they are invariably assuming that resources just magically exist and we can we have the moral right to take them and distribute them. And yeah, that one error they, has been responsible for hundreds of thousands of deaths, millions of deaths. Millions of deaths. It's, and, and ask how they intend to redistribute them because it's always forcibly. Well, it's there's only one way, force. right? I mean, yeah. you can either ask nicely or take it. <laughs> Those are like, you can, take you can it. exchange. And, and they, what their methods are, their methods are discrimination. So it's by force. Ask how they intend to redistribute. It's through discrimination in your workplace, in hiring practices, at your kid's school, who's um, accepted into school. It's through discrimination or or it's with the butt of a gun, the implied butt of a gun there. You know, I, think, I think always... even, yeah, I, so even the discrimination they want enforced at the butt of a gun. Like they, they want control yeah. of the political institutions to enforce that. But you're right, there is another option, which is they can, the trade they can make with you is to make you accept the burden of guilt that you don't earn and tell you they'll relinquish, they'll release you from a little bit of that guilt if you give them stuff. They can treat you like an ATM if you're dumb enough to feel guilty for things that you didn't do and think that your absolution can be purchased through redistribution. But that's a, that's a, that's a scam. They're scamming you. Yeah. You're just, you know, you're but just again, stupid enough to fall not, for it. They're not redistributing crap. My friends, no. some of my most vocal uh, former friends and acquaintances, you know, who push this ideology are very wealthy, white, highly educated, uh, and they are not giving up their multi-million dollar homes. They're not giving up their Tesla. They're not giving up their job position. They're not actually doing anything. They don't. They're hypocrites. They believe they're exempt from this. They want to force this on everyone else because they are... They are the chosen. They're the spiritually. They're, they're you know, the the priests and priestesses of the movement who are spiritually and morally evolved and get to push this on all the little people, the the deplorables, you know, who yes. who, uh, yeah, whose whose power and resources need to be redistributed, but not theirs. Right. Um, right. Well, I mean, that what was that what was what was that thing that happened recently, Carrie? Who was it? It was. Uh, oh, it was the guy that we talked about last week. It was like. Trump is complaining about these these protesters, and then it was like, oh, they're attacking my apartment building. I need a gun. Like, oh, not my resources. That's oh, I didn't mean. Not I didn't mean they resources. could. No, not my stuff. Mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I didn't actually mean anything I said. Uh, okay, so let's get back. Yeah, yeah, so that's fine. Says, and and uh, I I do want to point out though that even if they weren't hypocrites, the ideas would still be evil. But but they do. They are hypocrites. The ideas are so evil, but they also don't. Yeah, mean them for themselves. Okay. So he, he then he has one of the slides up that's from this thing, this uh, racist course that they're going to be forced to go to, um, where he's he's showing you know what he's talking about. So scroll down to the next one. Okay, this one. Uh, wait. Oh, wait, hold on, no, no, that, that was okay. more tweets for me. Yeah, show his. Okay, so next, white employees must examine their quote relationships with white supremacy, racism, and whiteness. End quote. This is another loaded question. This is, there's a presupposition built into this question that you must accept in order to answer it. Don't answer a question like this. This is a fallacy. Um, I don't have a relationship with white supremacy, racism, and whiteness. Well, I don't I mean, even, I, you know, can, like. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I would answer that as like antagonistic, antagonistic. I don't believe the term is a thing. Like, I don't know. Like, right. 
I don't have a good relationship with white supremacy. I think it's vile. I don't like racism. I think it's vile. And I don't believe whiteness is a, is a term that is even, does, doesn't have meaning in this right. context. But that's what I'm saying is don't play their game. I mean, I wouldn't even, you know, any, anyway. Okay. Yeah, they I know, must yeah, explain, I know. yeah. They must explain how their quote, families benefit economically from the system of white supremacy, even as it directly and violently harms black people, end quote. Again, this whole thing is riddled with loaded questions. These are all fallacies. They've built a presupposition into the question itself. And well, let's, you know, why don't you call that presupposition out? Because it's, it's, uh, I think it's a little bit insidious. Well, they're saying that th there's no other answer. They're saying you do, as a white person, you do benefit economically from a system of white supremacy. Well, and, and that this system directly and violently harms black people. And there's no other alternative. Like there, the guilt is in the question itself. When did you stop beating your wife? You know? Right. So, I mean, the thing that bothers me about this question is the system of white supremacy. What the hell are you talking about? What system of white supremacy? What are they talking about? They oh, never, they, they can't point to it. Well, I think they, what they mean is, I think they mean, uh, any sort of pseudo capitalist, free market-ish, individualist based, they mean Western civilization. They mean to say you benefit from Western civilization and Western civilization directly and violently harms black people. That's what they mean. But they just replace it with the system of white supremacy. They've defined Western culture, Western civilization as the system of white supremacy here. Uh, and you're, and, but there's no discussion about that. It's just, they're just gonna do that. You want me to go to the next one? Yes. Okay. Are you on the next one? Sorry. Yeah, can you okay, in the next two reflections, the trainers ask the white employee how their white fragility, okay, now, now again, again, I, I hate to keep beating a dead horse, but it's all loaded questions. And they sneak their cult terms in, their lexicon, they sneak in their culty words like white fragility, and they try to get you to participate by make, pretending that this is a thing that's been proven. It's not. It's a racist ad hominem. It is a racist uh, uh, idea that because of your race, you experience some kind of fragility that's unique to being white because of your group identity that that no one else experiences and that that you're indicted on the basis of your race. That's racist. But right. they put this in here like it's a thing. Why? Because it's a book now, a crappy book. I've read it. Uh, and and so in the next two reflections, the trainers ask the white employees how their quote white fragility is showing up at work and how their quote white silence. This is another one of their culty phrases, culty racist phrases. Their white silence causes them to harm black people. This is so offensive on its face. Right. Like, well, and white, you know, white silence is not saying white silence is not labeling Western civilization as the system of white supremacy that it was labeled on the previous tweet. Like that's, that's what white silence to them means not saying that Western civilization is, is the exact same thing as white supremacy. Yeah. Um, so this is kind of a weird one too, right? Because it's, 
Uh, if you don't would, accept our definition, then that is your white silence. That's another sin. So we have a definition. If you question the definition, well, that's a sin in and of itself. Like <laughs> you've sinned again. You've sinned again. My answers would be, um, I reject your entire premise. Uh, the phrase white silence is racist as it indicts people for the, on the basis of their race. The term white fragility is racist as it indicts people on the basis of their race. I refuse to answer this question and you will be hearing from my attorney. (laughs) (laughs) Period. Okay. The office of civil rights. Again, that name is just amazing. Then claims that quote white people internalize the system of white supremacy through the racist values of here they go. Now we've told you before, and it's hilarious because I was in a group about white fragility that I've mentioned before until they finally kicked me out of the group. Uh, but they, I was talking about how in the book, white fragility, they openly attack individualism. Now they used to hide the fact that they were collectivists, just like white supremacists are collectivists. They believe that your race and that your sex, and they believe that your collective, your group status is what defines you. They don't value you as an individual. They don't believe in treating people as individuals. They tell you just like white supremacists do social justice ideologues tell you that you need to, you have to treat people differently on the basis of race and sex. They're racist. Um, They oppose individualism. And what was funny about that group is I was talking about this and there were people in the group who who claimed to have read the book where she openly attacks individualism, who then tried to argue that she doesn't attack it. It, It's open. We're we're not even having a conversation based in reality. If if you're trying to disagree with what she openly and blatantly says, she carried carry. You're forgetting it again. You're forgetting that the word objectivity is also on this. Yes. The word objectivity is here. (laughs) There is no object here. So, so they're saying that these values are racist and white supremacist. Individualism, there they go, boom, on the attack, individualism. Intellectual, uh, inte- uh, intellectualization, objectivity, and comfort. Okay, objectivity, why is that in, that, why is that in the list? Why would, you, why would an ideology seek to attack objectivity? Gee, gee, I mm. wonder. Why would it seek to attack individualism? Hmm. And by, 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 by based on, I, by, make no mistake here. These people, when they say individualism, they know exactly what they mean. These writers, like if you read the the people that provide the philosophical and um, ideological foundation for this, they know what the Enlightenment is. They know what individualism, they know damn well what they mean when they write individualism. They're not misusing it. They're not, they're not meaning in some other way. They mean individualism in the full sense that Voltaire meant individualism yeah. and John Locke, like that's what they mean. Yeah. They, and they're, and they are, this is why this ideology is so evil because they don't, for the most part, a lot of them, they don't admit that it's racist and sexist. And a lot of them, the ones who are in it with good intent, like I was, they've really been, had a mind F, F happen to them. <laughs> they've really been. <laughs> Save yeah, the swear jar. I'm trying not to swear. Yeah, they've really been brainwashed and they've uh, they've gotten to the point where they are preaching 
that you should treat people differently on the basis of race and sex when the whole reason that a lot of these good intention people got into it was to oppose treating people differently on the basis of race and sex. But they've been, can you, that's why I call it evil. They're puppets, they're mouthpieces for the very things they think they're fighting. That is evil, what it yep. does to people. So, um, so yeah, this, this slide is just, that's amazing. Okay, so the next one. Uh, finally, white employees must implicate themselves. This is like the uh, Mao's cultural revolution, okay? And you're, mm -hmm. you have to, or like the Salem witch trials, you have to implicate yourself, confess your own guilt, um, stand up and do a public display of your guilt of complicity. Can you scroll up just a little bit, Carter? I can't read the beginning. Uh, sure, sorry. Uh, okay, finally, white employees must implicate themselves in the system of white supremacy. They must share, quote, a time in the past two to three months when they caused harm to a person of color. Search your mind. I'm sure it's there. You are guilty by virtue of your race. Your race makes you guilty. You have harmed someone in the past three months even. <clears throat> Excuse me. In the past two months even, you've done it. Okay, so once they've publicly established their guilt, they've now completed the training. Why? Because this is a religious ritual. This is to get you to kneel down and confess your privilege, to confess something you haven't done, to uh, to it's it's inducting you into a cult. That's what's happening. You're being you're being brought in, you're being initiated, you're being branded. Um, okay, according to the critical race theorists, racism is everywhere. It's in every society structural, every organization, institutional, every relationship, interpersonal, and it's in every individual internalized. There is no escape. If I saw something like this, uh, this little Venn diagram they created, I would be like, woohoo, you know how to use um, Photoshop. Like who, <laughs> I could put anything on a chart here, like four types of speciesism. Like you could put anything up here. Look here, this circles cats, this circles squirrels. Like what it, it does, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just laughing at the fact that this kind of stuff works on people. It's on a chart. They put it on a chart. Because <laughs> it looks pseudo, it's, it's like scientific in some way. Scientific, yeah. Right. What is that? You just made circles and put stuff in it, okay. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> I, are we done? Is that, I would I, make, yeah, I think No, wait, probably. I want to show one last thing. This oh. is about the fighting back part, so scroll down. He says, it's a deep, this is it's still Christopher Rufo, it's a deep and terrible irony that this kind of pseudoscience and race essentialism is now being peddled by the, quote, Office of Civil Rights. It's an abuse of power, and it does nothing to improve the culture. He's absolutely right. More and more, it's old-style racism masquerading as anti-racism. Yes, and this is what they call their racism. They've now, they've coined a new term. You will see anti-racism all the time. They say, they, they actually say, that the opposite of racism is not to be not racist. They say this. They say the opposite of racism is to be anti-racist. What's anti-racism? Well, look at how they define it. Anti-racism is their word for racism. It's Orwellian. It's just like Ministry of Truth. It's just like War is Peace, Freedom is Slavery. They call their racism anti-racism. Anti-racism is treating people differently on the basis of race and sex. Well, hey, guess what? You can call it whatever you want, that's still racist in practice, in behavior. That is a racist idea. Um, 
Seattle's Office of Civil Rights is now explicitly endorsing segregationism, group-based guilt, and race reductionism, ugly concepts that should have been left behind a century ago. It's absolutely Orwellian. He's right. The guardians of, quote, civil rights are now the architects of new racism. I'd say, I would argue it's just old. It's just racism. They're architects of racism. In the coming weeks, I will be filing an official civil rights complaint against Seattle's office, Office of Civil Rights. They have created a new form of institutional racism that violates core principle of equality under the law. It's time to fight back. And so this is what I want. You should be following this guy. I want to see the results of his lawsuit. Um, you should absolutely be. I, I, I saw people saying well, Seattle's already lost. It's not worth it. It's totally worth it. You have to push back against this because we also have to see, we have to practice and see what methods work. You can't wait till it's in your little red town or wherever you're at. It's, you know, it, you can't see ground that, well, Seattle's already lost. No, no, push back now. You, you think we're going to be in a better place to push back once this is happening in your small town? No, push it. Anyway, that, that just frustrates me. You can't cede territory like that. Seattle's hopeless. It may be hopeless. His lawsuit's not necessarily hopeless. Let it work its way up to the Supreme Court. What is happening there is illegal. It's discrimination. It's race-based discrimination. And our laws have not changed yet. I know they're trying to change them in California and other places, but we are still a free country where this is wrong. This is morally and legally wrong. Sorry. <laughs> I can't hear you. You're muted. Sorry, it's great. It's great. You're very upset. You don't. Uh, it's good. Uh, you're very upset about it. Um, yeah, I mean, I look. I I think the lawsuit's an interesting idea, even if Seattle is lost, because it's a um, it's a template for other people, and and it could be a good test case. Like, you know, let's see what the courts say. Like, it's worth challenging. Um, I do think Seattle, like I kind of, I do agree. I do think Seattle is lost, but you're not, you're not doing this to save Seattle. You're doing this to no. save everyone else. Like you're like, doing this to save everyone. Right. This is a, a, this is a, yeah, this is a symbolic fight. And if it happens to be Seattle, that's the place that you can demonstrate, uh, the evil here than demonstrate it in Seattle. Um, in fact, it will be the places that we, that many in the community will consider lost. It'll be those places where you'll have the first opportunities to shed light on this and have the whole world look at what's going on. Um, because yes. those are the places where you'll be able to file lawsuits, right? Um, before yes. and, before and, everywhere and, else. And if your local, uh, if, the, if the courts in Seattle are corrupt and they've already become beholden to this evil racist belief system, let it work its way up. Well, and that's like, information. It It'll be good to know. Like, oh, Seattle really is lost. Okay. Like, it's it, that's where it is in the courts. Like, it, you need to know the, the reality of the system that you're in. So this is a good test, I think. Um, I would hope that the actual Supreme Court would support this guy. Um, but don't know. I can't trust anything from the Supreme Court anymore. So... It's, it'll be a good Let test to see where and 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 besides it it sheds a light on this yeah we right need that's a light the main, main thing you right. know the, if there's a case there's going to be hopefully most of the legacy media is not going to do their job but hopefully there'll be enough media attention 
that people who are concerned about this can share it, can share the story, can share the fight. Just the act of fighting back inspires others to fight back. So I don't care if you're in Seattle or the Bay Area or some place that's already overtaken by this. Push back if you can. If you're if you're in a place where uh, your workplace is forcing something on you that is this blatantly racist or sexist, if it's it's if it's that blatantly illegal what they're doing, push back. Be that person. You know, can I based on what you're saying here? Um, I think it actually. There, there was a. It's not a super chat, but I noticed someone said this earlier, and I, I have it highlighted because I think it's a common question, and, I, and it's related to what we're saying. So, can I just read it here? It says, um, "Fighting leftism will likely result in being boycotted and your family suffering. How do you justify prioritizing the slim chance of saving Western civilization from leftism over your family?" I have an answer, but I'd love to hear your answer because you were very adamant about step up and sue. You are sacrificing your family anyway if you don't push back. Like, that's that's my belief. You have kids. What world are their kids going to grow up in? What Your grandkids, what, what is the world going to look like for them? You're, you're sacrificing long-term, the long-term well-being of your family and your, your kids' kids and their kids for this short-term illusion that's that's what I believe. I, I may I, I may offend some people and I understand absolutely what's at stake. And you are going to have to make sacrifices. If look, I'll speak to the Christians. If you're a Christian, th- this shouldn't come as news to you. Life is about sacrificing. You you sac you you choose the good sacrifices. You sacrifice in order to get uh not only what you want out of life, but to, you know, like I've heard Jordan Peterson talk about the Cain and Abel story, for example, and talking about sacrificing anything good that you get is from sacrifice. He's talked about like, let's say you're at college. Um, you sacrifice nights out and parties with friends in order to study so that you can get a better grade so that you can move ahead in the world. You know, maybe you sacrifice, uh, freedom and time with your friends so you can work two jobs to put yourself through school. You're making a sacrifice there. We all choose what we're willing to sacrifice and what we're not willing to sacrifice. And I would say um, for the sake of your family and your kids' kids, stand and fight now. Now, does it mean that you rush headlong into a battle that's not a wise or tactical decision? No. Choose your battles. In the case, in this specific case that this guy we're talking about, Christopher Ruff, I think he chose a good battle because it, this is being forced on him by it, it's a, by the city government. This is a, the government is saying you must go to these racist indoctrination seminars. Okay, he has a very good case. Not every battle is worth fighting. This one, it, this particular one, I think is a battle worth fighting. So I don't know your situation, and I don't mean to tell you that it's the same answer for it's not the same answer for every situation. I, absolutely, you know. So I, I guess it would depend on. Um, you know what? What your specific, what that specific battle is, whether it's tactically better to withdraw and then secure a place, you know, secure some territory for yourself to fight a battle that is worth fighting. Maybe, maybe you withdraw from that fight and pick a better battle. Um, but in in broadly speaking, the fight is already the 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 battle's already at your front door. The fight's already here. We're in a culture war, whether we we want to be or not. And 
the long-term security of your family is at stake. Your kids' future, their kids' future is at stake. So I don't think it will be easier to fight then than it is now. It sucks now, but gosh, can you imagine what it's going to be like? Yeah. No, I mean, I, I that would have basically been been my answer as well. I mean, I would like to be able to appeal to what used to be a sense of honor and say you fight on principle because principles matter. And even if you die fighting on principle, it's worth it. But we don't have that sense in culture anymore. So I don't think it's worth even trying to appeal to that. But uh, from a practical perspective, like Carrie said, your family's already not going to be safe. Um, and another angle to that practically is if you stand up and fight early uh, and there is some sort of place where these ideas don't penetrate, there is some sort of, even if it's a small portion where Western civilization persists in some small area, maybe not the whole U.S., but it persists somewhere. Well, um, the sooner you stand up and fight against this, the more easily those people will recognize you as an ally and bring you into their community and let you be part of their civilization. Because I got to tell you right now, if I had control over a, an area, if we, we had people talk about unsafe space island or whatever, like if we had a community area, uh, there would be a wall immediately. As far as I would like, I would argue for one. I wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't be a dictatorship anyway, because that's not what we would want. But like, I would argue for a wall uh, because I, we can't have the bad ideas in. We can't have people with bad ideas in. We would have to be very careful about protecting that community. Um, so how do, why do you think anyone's going to want to hang out with you in, in the future Western civilization if you didn't make it clear which side you were on early? Um, there's, a, there's a practical reason for that as well, is, is my point. Um, yeah, and again, um, I, I do want to say not every battle, just so nobody misinterprets what I'm saying, not every battle is worth fighting. I would have to know your specific case and, and what it is you're facing. But in this particular case we were talking about, and see, I think this battle is worth fighting. That's sure. all I'm saying. And the the and war is worth fighting. How you fight it is a tactical overall, decision that right. you can only make for yourself. Right. That's a good way to put it. The war is worth fighting. You choose your battles. Right. And you know? and maybe and, maybe your method is like you're an infiltrator, like maybe you're in deep in organizations and you keep your head down and you provide information to people and like you're, <laughs> you're a spy. I don't know. Like there's lots of ways to fight the war, but, uh, but the war is worth fighting. Yeah. Uh, and if you don't, if the, if the war is not won in some way, your kids don't worry about your kids and your family because uh, they're going to be suffering couple people in chat, these are not super chats, but I just, I absolutely agree with this. I just want to say BS says, uh, like in Game of Thrones, okay, if you prefer a little fiction, right, Some a, a great story, like in Game of Thrones, Ned Stark bent the knee and they still cut off his head. If you choose to bend the knee, they can still choose to cut off your head. This is true. And, the, you know, the best stories I think are drawn from truth and from history. And we've seen stuff like that. In Maoist China, they would do these forced public apologies and confessions and they would still get punished. They would still kill them in some cases. Yeah. You know, it doesn't save you. It doesn't save you. Um, well, that and, and the Khmer Rouge person, in that. Remember that Khmer Rouge uh, yeah. movie I watched the other day that I, I mentioned on the show? Yeah. Like that was literally a scene where like you would do the equivalent of a struggle session. And they would even say like, uh, 
the anga, I think was the name of whatever, the state forgives you, like, raise your hand if you were a doctor or whatever, or an intellectual, right? The state forgives you, blah, 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 and then they would take you and shoot you. Kill you. Like, it, 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 there's no, it, it, even the there's leaders no get shot. Like, the, basically, when you set up an environment where there is no objectivity, Violence is is the way that violence and intimidation and ruthlessness is the way is the way to gain power, which is the system they're setting up. The most violent and ruthless person gains power. And what does that person do? They kill all of the competition that might <laughs> threaten their power like that. It's like yeah. being a warlord 101. Like that's that's what they do. So, um, you know, you know, Robin DeAngelo is sleeping with one eye open. Like, who's the. Who's the next great <laughs> right. white social right. justice is going to come? Yeah. Like, <laughs> okay. Uh, Let's so do some super chats. Quick wait, wait. One last oh. one was that uh, Dion Bram said, "I would rather die on my feet than live on my knees." Right. Which is a great quote. What's that? Oh, who who said that? I love that quote. I can't remember, but yeah. Oh, well, that's a good quote. Um, all right. Let's do some uh, super chats. Dom says. Uh, gives us two bucks and says, I'll send you guys a list of things to do in Milwaukee. Thank you, Dom. Appreciate it. Hopefully one of those things will be go to the conference. Uh, MP Creates gives us five bucks and says, taking my lunch break at 2 p.m. so I can catch the first half of the show. Well, welcome. Oh, thank uh, you. I think we're still in the first half of the show. I hope you're enjoying your lunch break. Let's see. Where are we next? Uh, I got a little bit of scrolling, sorry. Okay. Tax Terra. Tax Terra, by the way, if you don't know who Tax Terra is, she is in charge of the Unsafe Space knitting community's uh, virtual knitting meetings. So. Um, Tax Terra and uh, is Sandykins, right? I don't know. I only talked to Tax Terra. Maybe Sandykins is oh, involved okay. as well. It's the, and Sandykins. But uh, yeah. sorry, yeah. Tax Terra is the one that sets up the Zoom. That's all I know. Uh, and she says she loves strawberry milkshakes. Thank you, Tax Tara. You're wrong, <laughs> but I still love you. It's okay. <laughs> strawberry milkshakes are horrible. And we're just going to have to be the hill that I die on. And I'm just going to argue that. All right. Blackbeard. Thank you, Blackbeard. He says, I like to think of it as a labyrinth. Lots of ways in, but the deeper you get, the harder it is to get out. Yeah, he's talking about the SJW ideology. And I think yep. that is that is definitely true. And it's it's also I mean we we say the word cult, but if you think about what that means, um, one of the one of the ma ways that it gets really difficult to get out. And Carrie, I'm sure you can attest to this, having been in it for 20 years, right? Uh, your entire social life and all of your personal relationships are tied to that reality. Like you don't have you don't have friends, you have allies, right? Yeah, you don't you you they they encourage you as you guys have probably seen in the past two months. They obviously they encourage you to cut off friends and family who don't convert. So your whole world, your whole ecosystem becomes populated with people who share your ideology. So leaving it is a monumental task because not only are you changing your framework for the for viewing the whole world, the way in which you view the world. It's not like some little belief here, a little belief there. This is a foundational belief. You've been told that the best way to view the world is as a struggle for power between identity groups. You've been told that the best way to end racism is with racism and the best way to end sexism is with sexism, that you that we must treat 
differently on the basis of race and sex. And if if you're not doing that, then you're not anti-racist and you're not feminist. And well, so and you have to change you... your foundational beliefs and you have to sacrifice all those relationships you have because you've whittled your world down to this little cult. Right. And That's the longer you that you're in it. So it's hard. Right. The longer you practice anything, including including social justice, especially. But the longer that you're in it, the more your self-esteem, especially if it's a moral system, the more your self sense of self-worth and, and self-esteem is tied in with practicing it. So like if you've been in it for a day, it's very cheap to question it and be like, oh, I screwed up for a day and I was a racist for a day and now I realize social justice is not racist and is, is racist and I don't want to be racist, so I'm going to jump out of social justice. Like, okay, it, you know, you ding yourself a bad day. You had a bad day. You you made some mistakes. You were wrong. You got, it's not that damaging to your, your psyche. You're in it for 20 years. That's hard, right? That's like, oh, I've been wrong for 20 fucking years. Yeah, I mean, you tell me, Carrie. That's that's hard. That takes a lot of fortitude to get out of, right? That's that takes some cojones to be like, oh, I was wrong for twenty years, and I'm going to not be wrong for twenty one years. Yeah, Christopher Hink says this isn't a super chat, but he says you can't just do a one eighty on your own tribe. You can, and I did. However you have to be prepared for what's going to happen and you have to be willing to make that speaking of sacrifice, make that sacrifice. Yeah. And at the time, so for anyone who's not in it, don't underestimate what that sacrifice is because it is like we are saying, it's all that people know. So once they've done it, like on the outside looking back, I can absolutely say, Oh my gosh, it was so worth it. I wish I'd done it much sooner. I wish I'd left much sooner. I wish everything that you, you, sacrificed at the time was absolutely worth it. And I've made much better friendships and my, my values are based in something solid on solid ground, not like shifting sands. You know, it's, it's, it was completely worth it. But at the time it's still hard for that person because they don't know what's on the other side. They have this fear about leaving everything they've known. It's like a toxic relationship. I've talked about this before. I got out of a toxic relationship, uh, it was one of the hardest things I've done, even though I knew it was bad and I knew I need to do it. It was what I knew. I didn't know what would come after. And I was, I'm a person who I was gripped by fear and it, it, it scared. It, it, it shook me to my core to do that, to make that decision and to walk through the fear. But again, once you get on the other side of it, you look back and you're like, why did I do that sooner? I, I have friends who are sometimes in the middle of, of something that's a hard or painful thing to, to move through and, and you can see from the outside looking in when it's not you, you can see so much more clearly that like, you're just letting fear keep you in what you know, because you don't know the, what the unknown is, but you know, if it's a bad workplace or a bad relationship or a bad ideology and you know that, but you, it's like the, the devil, you know, what's that quote where people choose the devil they know they're like, but I know this. Right. And I'm afraid of what I don't know. So I'm going to stay in this bad situation. That's right. not good for you. Like yeah. you, you have no idea what the unknown is true, but that also means there could be so much wonderful things. You can't even imagine a much better job, a much better friend circle, a much better relationship, a much better, um, just life circumstance things you can't imagine because you haven't walked into the unknown yet. You have to, you have to walk through that fear and go into the unknown and find out what's there. Yep. Yep. Uh, can I just, 
There's a nuance to the word sacrifice that I just want to throw out because I want people thinking in these terms, although I don't necessarily want them to change the definition of sacrifice. And this was something that, um, by, by the way, I'm, I'm talking about Ayn Rand a lot recently. Partly is the more people get angry about Ayn Rand, the more I'm going to talk about her. So that's the punishment that you get for getting angry. Um, so because she's just a person and she had some good ideas. And if we can't talk about her like we can talk about C.S. Lewis or anyone else in history, then uh, <laughs> that's your problem. So anyway, she made a di she made a distinction. Uh, she had a very narrow definition of the word sacrifice. And I don't. What I don't like about it is it's not how people use the word sacrifice. So I think she's kind of it's like a fool's errand to okay. try and redefine it. But but her distinction is worth knowing in your head. And so I want to talk about her definition. She she used the word sacrifice only to mean when you give up a greater value for a lesser one. So it's it's a sacrifice if you give up something that you value more and get something less. That's that's something that because you're you're working against your own long-term self-interest. You're making a sacrifice, right? Right. She would argue that if you value the thing you're getting more than the thing you're giving, it wouldn't count as a sacrifice. Um, and so, like the example would be, let's say you've got a certain amount of money in the bank and you could afford a Ferrari, but your kid needs brain surgery and they cost the same amount. Right. And, it, and, and people might say, well, I sacrificed my Ferrari to save my kid. And she would say, only if you love the Ferrari more than your kid. Otherwise, it wasn't a sacrifice. It was it was a trade that you made because the kid's more valuable to you than the Ferrari. It doesn't count as a sacrifice. And I think a lot of times what people do is um, and I think where a lot of the confusion comes is they don't look at the long term value of something. They only look at the short term cost. And a lot of times the benefits of what you're about to do, like you talked about leaving your friend base, like you said, you can do a 180, right? And all you see, if you're stuck in the moment, all you see is the extreme cost, right? But you don't see the value that you will have accrued to you years later through by, by making that cost. And so it feels like the Ayn Rand definition of a sacrifice in the moment because it feels like I'm giving up all this stuff and I'm not getting anything out of it. But over time, it feels more like actually it wasn't a sacrifice. It was a trade-off that was worth making. And again, I'm not trying to change the definition of it. I'm just, that's how she thought of it. And I, I like to think of sacrifice. I like to identify what kind of sacrifice I'm talking about when I think about a <clears> sacrifice. <throat> and there are sacrifices that I don't think you should make. And those are ones in which you give up a greater value for a lesser value. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about giving up something that seems like it's a lot, but the value in the long run to you is better. It's a, it's, you're not actually sacrificing. Um, it's a, it's a short term sacrifice for long term gain. I understand the distinction you're making in the way that you, and that she is defining that term. Right. I just want to point out for anyone who's more emotionally minded, like I still view it as a sacrifice. Just my, my definition. Well, I'm not even because, suggesting that we change yeah, it. I'm just, I'm mean. wanting to, yeah. right. Be because of that reason, right. Yeah. Because people still feel like it's a sacrifice and it's because it feels like it that is. to you because you only see the short term cost benefit analysis. You don't, you can't project your life 20 years and objectively say, what would the change be? Right. Like that's, that's very difficult to do. So, um, yeah. Right. And someone but says she got that idea from Von Mises. Uh, that's not surprising. I've been reading Von Mises lately and, uh, damn the, the uncredited genius of Ludwig Von Mises is, I, I feel like you could do 
entire documentaries about this guy's genius and no one really talks about it because probably because he's very difficult to read. Okay. Um, but just to uh, wait, let me, let me oh, add this. So oh, uh, about the emotional mind and about the sacrifice part of it, 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 again, I just don't, for me, I don't want to discount what, what that's like for people giving up whatever that thing is, whether it's a toxic relationship or a toxic workplace or a habit or belief system. Um, it is, it is a sacrifice and that's, you know, you're, you are giving up what you know and that's a really hard thing for people to do. And somebody in the chat said, it's like sobriety, you know, when you give up alcohol and, and you, once you've done it and you look back and you're like, I wish I had done it sooner. But it, in the time it, when you're doing it, 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 it is more, some, for some people, it will be the hardest thing you've ever done. Um, and Jordan Peterson talked about this in one of his lectures and it really stuck with me. And it contributed to why I uh, quit drinking. Actually, was he was like, if if you if you take a minute, everybody can think of one thing that if they sacrificed, if they gave it up, it would their their life would probably get better. Okay, if they and and it, think think about it in the short term. If you can't, you don't have to think about forever. Think about for a year. What could you give up for one year that might make your life better? See how it is a year from now, right? Everybody, something comes to mind. And, you know, something I already did that with alcohol. Other things come to mind now. There are always things I think that you can be like, hey, if I eliminate this one habit or this one circumstance or this one relationship um, or belief or whatever it is that maybe my life would be different in a year. And I absolutely encourage you guys to try that. It, it stuck with me and it changed my life. And uh Anyway, and one other quote. I know we have to move on, but you made me think of this, Carter. Mm -hmm. So this is there's two quotes by C.S. Lewis that come to mind about doing a 180, about changing your beliefs mm -hmm. so radically or giving up something that you know is wrong but being afraid to do so. He says, uh, <clears throat> there's nothing progressive about being pigheaded and refusing to admit a mistake. And I think if you look at the present state of the world, it's pretty plain that humanity has been making some big mistakes. We're on the wrong road. And if that is so, we must go back. Going back is the quickest way out. We all want progress. But if you're on the wrong road, progress means doing an about turn and walking back to the right road. In that case, the man who turns back soonest is the most progressive. I love that. Right. Um, you know, it, it may feel like you like the sunken cost thing that you talked about, the sunken cost fallacy. But I've put all this time and I put all these years and I've put I've invested all of this, all these resources and time and so much of myself into this relationship or ideology or job or whatever it is. And I can't go back. I've got to keep making progress. It's not progress if you're on the wrong road. Once you realize you're on the wrong road, you can choose to continue further down the wrong road or you can turn around, eat some humble pie and reverse course. If you want to progress, you're going to reverse course once you realize it's the wrong road. Anyway. Yeah. The only thing I'll add to that is don't get caught in a false dichotomy. Sometimes there's another road. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I, look, one of my I've said this before, but one of my concerns with with the pushing back that we are all rightly doing against the culture war and the social justice stuff um, is that if we don't properly identify how we got in this place a separate set of tyrants will arise very quickly um, from the ashes of the social justice tyrants, assuming that we win 
the culture war. Um, but if we don't, if we don't root, pull it out by the roots, uh, and that's that, those get to be interesting discussions because uh, the roots are can can be complex. And I think many people have a, a great misunderstanding of what the roots are. There are people who just say, "Well, we just have to go back." Mm, not every amount of progress we've made is bad. Like, I for one think gay marriage should be legal. Uh, that's progress that's happened. That was a march toward the left, right? That was a march away from traditionalism. That was a good step, in my opinion. Um, you might disagree. There might be other ones. We've also made a lot of bad, quote, progressive steps. So um, untangling it is important uh, and understanding that the roots are important. Okay, let's do let's do a super chat. Meigs. 294, thank you, Meeks. 294 says, just thank a little you, more as a thanks. Heard you guys were going somewhere. If Carter has fun, documented. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, well, so Carter I... Carter has fun. Yeah, I want to clarify we, something. Just, it's frivolity. We created this funny joke. But yeah. Yeah. That you, you kind of like see... Uh, uh, you, you can become caricatures of yourself, I guess, if you do a show like this, maybe. I guess, yeah. I am not, despite what you said in a recent interview, you, know, you were kind of joking around that I'm always late. I'm not always late. In fact, I'm often five minutes early, you were, especially You've been on time recently. Uh, more than recently. Well, and whatever. I'm just saying in my recent it's a, memory. Yeah, you've but been it's, on time. A, it's a caricature that I'm like the more of the like, you know lackadaisical kind of, and it's a caricature that Carter's like this stiff, starchy shirt. And... Right. <laughs> Part of that's intentional, yeah. but yeah. I mean, look, here's the thing. Uh, people have different ways of enjoying life and loving life. And I think what happens is um, I I love what I do. I like I love reading about philosophy and thinking about this stuff and doing stuff that a lot of people think is boring and nerdy and horrible. I love it. I don't, I don't like I don't like dancing. I don't like a lot of frivolity. That's just not my like. I don't, don't like, like that dancing? stuff. No, I don't. I don't care. I just don't care. Right? No, but you don't enjoy it. No. How's that possible? I just don't. I don't <laughs> okay. care. It doesn't. So people are different, right? And so people that enjoy life in one particular way look at other people and they say, "Well, you never smile and you never party and you never have fun." I'm having a ball. I love my life. I don't have to smile the way that you guys do. I don't have to go dancing. I don't have to have the, the same kind of fun. I enjoy In fact, I was reminded of this by my own daughter, I think this morning, because she's, she's working right now at a barn. And, but she has two days off. She has Monday and Tuesday off. And she said, I don't like Mondays so much. And my wife and I were like, well, why not? Because you know we think of Monday as kind of the start of the work week. And she's like, well, because I don't get to work. I love, I love my job. Uh, <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, if you love your job, weekends suck. I get it, right? And uh, you know, let let there be individualism. Let people be. <laughs> I'm just. I, I know no it. dancing I, equals no, no fun. I I, 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 well, I see that. No, but there's some there's some people in chat who are saying they don't like dancing either. I'm just having trouble wrapping my head around it because it's, it's so. It, I'm not saying you have to be good at dancing. I'm just saying you do, you don't enjoy it. Even if you're dancing by yourself at home and nobody's watching you, you don't enjoy it. What? <laughs> Why would I do that? Okay. <laughs> I just doesn't. I just. just <laughs> I realize I'm doing a loaded question. When did you? When you <laughs> dance at home by yourself? I talk to myself a lot. 
like I like there's things that I do that are weird that I enjoy, but I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't, that's it's not a thing. And by the way, my wife doesn't either. We get along like neither, both of us are the same kind of person. I just don't. Um, so, uh, yeah, I don't know. I do like people are saying no dancing is no fun. I do love the line though from V for Vendetta where he says, uh, a dance, a revolution without dancing is a revolution not worth having. I get the sentiment. Uh, I do appreciate art and I just, that particular thing is not mine. Okay. Let's move on. No one cares about my dancing. Okay. Uh, Carter has a huge elephant and doesn't dance. <laughs> All right. My elephant just doesn't dance. Uh, if you replace the word, sorry, this is from Stephen Landau. Thank you, Stephen. He says, if you replace the words white and whiteness with the words Jew and Jewishness in Robin D'Angelo's white fragility, you get Nazism. Yeah, I wonder if she could have just taken Mein Kampf and re like <laughs> done some word substitution and still had a popular book. I'm not sure. Possibly. Um, let's see. Formerly, formerly Rod Line sends us five bucks and says, sorry if off topic topic, have you seen the Illinois state rep wants to abolish history teaching till a true diverse history can be taught? Wow. I haven't seen that. You saw that Carrie? Yes. They've uh, said that, yeah, they want to abolish, they want to abolish history. They, that, so something you guys should keep on the lookout for is which we've covered once before it's the 1619 project uh it's it's an inaccurate and deeply flawed reimagining of u.s history from the position of social justice ideology it's being pushed by the new york times and it's now being pushed as a curriculum in many public schools oprah winfrey is trying to create i don't know if you saw this but oprah winfrey wants to create some kind of video materials um, related to it yeah, for 1619. Mm. We did an interview. We, we were so lucky. We got to interview uh, uh, Dr. William Allen about the 1619 Project. And if you guys haven't checked out that interview, just look for our look for Dr. William Allen on Safe Space. You'll, it'll pop up. And it was I think, one of my favorite discussions. He was brilliant and also really charming and affable. So yeah, I bet yeah, he likes dancing. Um, kidding. But, but, <laughs> well, Alan Conrad, who apparently has a memory and watches a lot of shows, says, but Carter was into the swing movement, so I I did like swing dancing when I was young because I loved the music, and I really tried to get into the dancing. It was never really my, like, first love, but I got okay enough at it, and I did it a lot, and I did I did like swing dancing for a brief period of time, but I don't know if I just got old, things changed, I, my elephant decided to sit down, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I thought you were going to say... Uh, I was in the swingers movement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, different story. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Henry, thank you, Henry. Henry gives us 10 bucks and says, people are abandoning new age practices. Example, Law of Attraction, Yoga, Oprah. A lot of testimonials on YouTube. Uh, a return to Christianity. Crazy how ubiquitous and rooted in evil new age is. Bedfellow to SJW? Uh, is it a bedfellow? What do you think? Well, I, okay. Well, it's, it's not necessarily a bedfellow, but it's another way you can, it's another, let me put it this way. It's another community or a, um, a, a kind of thought or way of looking at the world that has been infected by social justice ideology. So just like how the new atheist movement became infected by a social justice, and now it's pretty much preaching it. Um, and the same way that Christianity is becoming infected by it, 
the new age movement has also, I have friends who are new agers who've now adopted social justice beliefs and are preaching it. It goes in and it corrupts all these other, uh, uh, communities and, and ways of thought. So, um, I'm not surprised that, yeah, bedfellow might be a good word, but I'm not surprised that you, you know, that there, you know, of new age people who are speaking social justice beliefs. Well, I mean, the atheist will say this, um, by the way, people in chat, I, I know you're just teasing. It's all in fun. I'm not actually upset about dancing. Uh, some people are worried that I'm, like, offended about dancing. <laughs> like, no. Uh, as the atheist, I'll say this. Look, um, when we we tore down Christianity, um, which, which did happen, like, culturally, like, it got culturally became, it lost a lot of power um, through attack. Uh it left a lot of, there was nothing constructed in its place. There was no, um, no moral philosophy, no moral philosophers, even like no philosophers really came by to say like, Oh, I guess we really need to, you know, have some moral principles for which like that people should live by. Cause, uh, we argued against this existence of a God, but there's some value to some of the things in Christianity. Like, shouldn't we like, you know, we can't just have nothing here. Um, and when we, but we didn't do that. And so a lot of people got left with basically a big vacant spot to, that was just like, well, what do I, what do I believe? What do I, how do I have motivation to live? Like, what's my purpose? What's right? What's wrong? And so then any charlatan steps in with their, like, here's my hippie yoga practices and here's Oprah. And like what they just step in with, with random platitudes that that's your meaning of life or the will of the majority, or they go the new atheist route and they, they, they uh, embrace social justice or whatever it is. Um, Marxism certainly <laughs> has an answer, right? So uh, all this stuff steps in and, um, and I, if, I think it makes sense as that stuff isn't working out for people. And I think the, the more that stuff is uh, more essentialized, like the more that stuff sheds itself of, of Western values, <laughs> the less it works. And so, and it, it's mm. like, it starts out mostly Westernized and continues like sheds itself of Western values as time goes by, as we become more radicalized and anti-West as a culture. And so that stuff ceases to work. And then people are going to do what? They're going to, they're going to stop, look around. And Christianity is the most obvious place to turn for uh, a set of morals that contradict the clearly dysfunctional morals that you're being fed through society. Um, and so people go there. I think that makes, I think that makes sense. I'm not surprised by it. I think that some of new age stuff, they get some things right too. Like, I mean, I think most of like a lot, a lot of different religions or when you hit, when you hit upon a wise idea, like, wisdom isn't just it doesn't just stay in one place you can see that same idea in other ways of thought and so like a lot of the consciousness stuff in the mindfulness stuff in new age writing or new age thought also i think maybe has roots in christianity some of it um it, it this idea of uh being in the moment instead of living in the past or living in the future you know, it's sort of like the uh, think of the lilies of the field, right? Like that section of the Bi the Bible verse about the lilies of the field. So I think they get some stuff right. When I first started making my path back to God, I, 
I, I went in through a, um, I was going to like a non-denominational, maybe even more of a mindfulness, new age kind of church. It definitely was, it had elements of Christianity and Buddhism and new age stuff. It was agape in Los Angeles. I still listen to their love stream. They call them their love streams instead of their live streams. I still listen to those once in a while, but that was the door I went in to, through um, because I probably would never have gone in the, where I'm at now, like the church, I'm, kind of church I'm at now, I never would have gone there. Um, but anyway. Yeah, I mean, I, a, I'm not saying that there's never any, like uh, everything to be even mildly successful has to have some truth, but they, they, they grab at, you know, feel good phrases or words or ideas that have worked historically and been proven. And they, they, you know, they throw them out there as some things like, Oh, you know, that sounds good. Makes you feel good. Uh, but you know, it doesn't mean that in yoga. Functions. Yeah. Mandy says I practice yoga and I'm grounded in the word. Yeah. I, uh, used to do a lot more yoga than I do now, but gosh, I need to get back to it. It's very good. I think it's a very good practice. Right. And look, Hey, you can see the social justice influence and I don't know if you guys have seen, but they attack yoga. They attack white women doing yoga. There's a oh, ton of articles. Just Google. Yeah, they say it's a, a cultural appropriation. So uh, just by being a white person who does yoga, you are pushing back against social justice warriors. So. <laughs> yeah. And look, yeah. I for the new people, there's people saying that Christianity stole its ideas from other religions. I don't know that that's provable. Uh, <laughs> I think there's a lot of debate about whether Homer or the Old Testament came first. I don't know if it was Homer specifically, but like there's a lot of old text that's just not, nothing's clear. Um, but you don't have to be a Christian to look at the world's religions generally, including Christianity, especially the ones that have survived, um, and say, oh, are there common threads? Like, that has, has humanity learned some lessons that they're trying to pass on to other generations through stories, and should we consider those lessons for So, for example, um, and I think actually moral philosophers can in, consider those just as empirical checks on their philosophy. Like, if you're a moral philosopher and you come up with a philosophical system that says rape is okay, well, you might want to check it against how has humanity, like, is that something that humanity's kind of been okay with? Like, oh, no, not generally. Like, I guess maybe in some areas, but like, or murder. Like, oh, you maybe made a, uh, you made a wrong turn at Albuquerque if you, if you end up with the system that, you know, human sacrifice is a thing. Like, okay, that's a problem. Um, and, and, and I think there's a lot of, uh, I think there's a lot of truth that's transmitted through religion uh, as a, a me, an idea meme that can be passed through generations through stories. So uh, it makes sense that Christianity would share some ideas with other religions. Um, even if they developed separately, there's probably ideas that evolved that like, hey, works pretty well if we don't murder people. Let's make that a rule. Like you don't yeah. have, like, <laughs> okay. Good ideas are good ideas. Yeah. They're going <laughs> right? to crop up. You're going to see wisdom in lots of different places. Right. More than one animal developed eyes. For example, the octopus's eye is unrelated to ours. It evolved differently. Our eye is like, uh, if you're, you'll love this if you're a Christian. If you're a Christian, God loves octopuses more than, than humans. If you're going to do the, if you're going to just look at the eyes, our eyes have like our wiring right in front of them. They block the lens. They're kind of like our brain has to literally hallucinate to fill in spots that are blocked. But octopuses don't have that problem. Like their eyes evolved completely separately. <laughs> so like, like there are things that are, but we both have eyes. And my point is not a evolution thing, but my point is like, 
we both evolved eyes because eyes are really useful. <laughs> They're really useful. Similarly with ideas, more than one society can evolve, you know, evolve the idea that like murder is bad. That's kind of a useful idea if you want to get along with other people. Because it turns out living by yourself sucks and living with other people is actually much better. So you kind of can't do that if you're just going to kill each other. Um, all right. Uh, someone says we have apex eyes. Well, that's the location of our eyes. But there's no reason that our eyes need to have wiring on top of the lens. <laughs> so, or on top of the receptors. Okay. Mary Little. Mary Little says, did you discuss, thank you, Mary Little. She says, did you discuss Trump's remark on economic inequalities? Wondering where that leads. I have no idea what you're talking about. Do you know what he's talking about or she's talking about? <coughs> Excuse me. Yes, we did. We haven't discussed that, but he did tweet about it recently. Um, why don't you pull up the next super chat and I'll pull that up. We can okay. talk about it. Next one is from Thomas. Same Thomas, who, by the way, is an excellent author who you can read on hey, Thomas's medium page. Uh, he is uh, just a really great writer. So Carter going hard in the paint equals super chat. I don't know what that means, Thomas. After I said you were a great writer, now I don't understand your one sentence. But he's still a great writer. I just don't know what he means. He's making a reference that I don't get. That's okay. Uh... <laughs> okay. Let's see. Hold on. Here's the okay. Trump. Oh, yeah. Tweet. Pull that up while I'm looking for our Super Chats. So Business Insider uh did an article they shared it said while 40 million americans filed for unemployment during the coronavirus pandemic billionaires saw their net worth increase by half a trillion dollars and trump retweeted it and said i actually agree with this too much income disparity changes must be made and soon <laughs> which actually sounds like a very bernie thing like a very progressive thing and um, if you were, are someone who believes that in, if you're someone who, who would be happy with this tweet, if it came from Bernie, but you, you're not happy with it when it comes from Trump, then I think you have a big blind spot as to your biases, because it is a very progressive kind of thing to be talking about, I think. Anyway. Um, Okay. Actually, another super chat from Mary Little. Mary Little says, I see I was off topic. LOL. That's what happens when I'm late. It's okay. Mary Little. It's all good. Uh, thank you for the super chat. Uh, let's see. Dun, 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 dun. Next super chat. Derek. Derek Maggard says, did you know Sokol's fashionable nonsense co-author physicist uh, Jean Brickmont? has written books about nonsense and quantum mech interpretations. I didn't know that. Um, quantum mechanics is so, I, look, quantum mechanics is one of my favorite uh, <laughs> appropriated topics because uh, I'm not a quantum physicist. However, I did take multiple graduate level classes in quantum mechanics. Quantum mechanics doesn't say anything that Deepak Chopra thinks that it says. <laughs> there is like quantum mechanics is one of these like massively overrepresented like charlatans just pick on quantum mechanics and be like wow well we've proven that nothing exists and everything's contradictory and there's a god like that's just not what quantum i'm sorry guys but that is not what quantum mechanics says uh so i it's to me it's one of the 
one of the ridiculous ones. I didn't know, but of course you can make a nonsense quantum mechanics. Uh, you can make, quantum mechanics will allow you, if you want to misinterpret it, you can make any argument you want from quantum mechanics. It's just like postmodernism. You can make any argument you want if you don't understand, actually postmodernism, I don't think you have to understand it to make any argument you want. But quantum mechanics, you just have to like, detach it from the fact that it is a theory trying to explain actual measurable scientific facts, like things that we measured that we know, and it's a working theory, and there are known contradictions, and those are viewed by scientists as a failure of the theory, not as explanations of actual reality, because the more you learn about reality, the more complex it gets. So, okay, we don't know things. Not knowing things does not equal Reason doesn't work, because otherwise you wouldn't even have gotten to quantum mechanics in the first place. You can't undermine the method that got you there. Like, you can't use science to disprove reason. That's literally impossible. Science only, you only get there because of reason. That's why you get there. You, you can't reason your way to non-reason. It's a contradiction. Uh, but if you want to sell a lot of books and get a lot of, you know, get Dr. Phil on your show, then it's, I guess it's fine. Okay, um... So, sorry, Carrie. Carrie doesn't care. At least it wasn't economics I was ranting about. Okay. Alan, <laughs> Alan sends us five bucks. Alan uh, Monaghan says, appeasement doesn't work with totalitarians. Don't cede ground. I don't know if this is in reference to what Carrie was saying, but she wasn't meaning appease. She was saying tactically cede ground, like shore up. Like that That does work. No, he's, he's in but, agreement with what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah. Um, uh, Another text, Tara, says, go carry hat. I love that your name is carry hat now. It's catching on. It started just a few people, and now it's expanding. Uh, you want to read one, Carrie? Do you see Good Parent? You want to read Good Parent? No. No. All right. Good Parent says, uh, thank you, Good Parent. Uh, they say, we need more people to take legal action. This training exemplifies psychological abuse. Yeah, in reference to Carrie's earlier yes. article. Absolutely. Yes. Hostile work environment, too. It is It is definitely a psychological piece. Uh, all right. The G. Schultz says, thank you, G. Schultz says, uh, don't martyr. I spoke to coworkers about training, and many thought it was awful. Let the company waste money. Look for a new job. We had YK Hong. Um, yeah, I mean. I think it just depends on your circumstance. You, you Like we've said, depends on your specific circumstance. I don't know the details of your job or which one you left. And that may have been the right battle. That may have been not been the battle to fight. It may have been best for you to leave that one. But in the case of the Seattle guy who's suing, I think he's absolutely doing the right thing. Well, one thing I like about what the G Schultz is saying is, uh, I do like you, you fight it or you leave are the two better options than staying around and pretending to. Yeah. Do one or the other. Right. Um, another one from tax Terra. Thank you. Tax Terra. Christians, oh, Jesus told can. us to take up his cross and follow him. This means suffering. We need you to stand and fight. Teach your children. Sue if you can. The fight is here and now. Yeah. Yes. And and mm -hmm. as a non-Christian, I will say what I like about that message is, and what and I think what is, yeah, what I like about that message is principles matter. Like, I, I feel like Jesus, that's kind of what Jesus is saying. Like, principles matter. Like, he's talking about the the principles of Christianity, like standing up for, for Christianity and your faith. But regardless, principles matter. They're worth fighting for. Um, and that sentiment is largely lost. Um, Cecil Charles Official gives us 10 bucks and says, don't hesitate to use 
Words Hi, like honor, nobility, sacrifice, they are human ideas part of culture since the beginning. They will resonate all the more because they aren't talked about currently. That's a good point, Cecil. Uh, so, yeah, I know earlier I said I hesitate to use honor because no one <laughs> respects it anymore. Yeah, you fight because you have honor. That's why you fight. You fight because ideas matter. You have integrity as a human being, and you're going to stand up for what matters. That's why you fight. And by the way, that's the kind of parent your kids need to see. That's what I'll say. I, I, I just wanted to read this verse that mm -hmm. text Sarah made me think of. Sure. Um, John 15, 18, and 19 says, if the world hates you, this is a quote, this is a Jesus quote. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. I love that verse. A friend sent that to me a couple years ago when we were talking just about sacrifice, you know, suffering. Um, if you're not, if you're not pissing some people off with what you're saying, or how you're conducting yourself in the world, then you're not really saying anything, probably. You're just trying to be a people pleaser and please whoever it is that you happen to be around at the time. Yep. I think so, literally almost 20 years ago, I wrote an article called In Defense of Enemies. Um, and it was, the point I was making was very similar, which was like, look, it, people, if you have no enemies, then no one's mad at you. And if they're not mad at you, you're not you're not standing up for anything because uh, <laughs> the only way change happens is like by standing up for things and like people don't like it. You're not making positive change in the world if everyone likes you. Like then there's no – that like if we're in utopia and everyone likes you, then I guess. But we're not in utopia. So utopia. you should be pissing some people off. And if you're not, you're doing it wrong. Okay. And you can still do it with love. You can still do it with love. That's the, that's the crazy part. Good. It doesn't mean you have to become a hateful person. You can you can say these things with love, but you are necessarily the 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 right people are going to hate you for it, and they're especially going to hate that you're doing it with love. And Mr. Johnny Cash, I'm going to finish with a did a quote from Jesus. Now I'm doing a quote from Mr. Johnny Cash. It's good to know who hates you, and it's good to be hated by the right people. Yep. So that's all. Yeah. Well, and look, I mean, most of the most of the scientists that brought anything new to the world hated, right? Um, hated. So, yeah, and you don't have to do it. Yeah, the fact that they hate you doesn't mean you're not doing it in love. And as you pointed out, I think yeah, actually you don't have to hate them. It, it triggers them more probably if you do it. Even me, yeah. who I have the the uh, I get that I get that I have the reputation of being like the more of the ass on like more of an asshole. I don't, nothing I'm saying about Western civilization, even nothing I'm saying about the evils of social justice, all of it stems from a love for humanity. Like, all of it is because I want people to live and thrive and be free and have the right to exist and make the best of their lives on the planet. That comes from love of humanity, not from hatred. Okay, Keith. Keith the Hack Guy, thank you, Keith. He says, going to court is asking the government to stop the government from doing, from government's wrongdoing. Often the government sides with the government. <laughs> Thank you for making that point, Keith. Uh, that's why I don't have high hopes for the outcome of the lawsuit, but at least it will shed light on what's going on and draw attention to it. But yes. Uh, yeah, it's still important to do it, <laughs> Keith. 
Okay. Uh, sorry, it's like I'm gonna go to the schoolyard bully to appeal to the schoolyard bully who's picking on me and ask the schoolyard bully to make the schoolyard bully stop. Yeah, it's the same thing. Okay. Uh, why bother? Thank you. Why bother? Why bother? He says, "What if Neanderthals invented critical race theory, became soft, and were eradicated by the Homo sapiens?" Well, apparently we had sex with them first because I know aren't there? There's Neanderthal DNA in Europeans. Apparently, I have a I have a high percentage of Neanderthal DNA, according yeah. to Twenty Three and Me. Uh, well, according to the social justice warriors, I'm sure we both have lots of it, and we're knuckle dragging uh, buffoons. So, you did the Twenty Three and Me thing. I I I don't. I get that's I my, the paranoid part of me is like I don't want it's going to be in a government database. Yeah, but Carter, I did it back when I before I thought about anything. Oh, oh fair enough. I did it years ago. All right. Uh, okay. Next one. Do you want to read? Can you read Richard Petz or no? Yeah. I don't see it. Okay. I'll, I'll go read. ahead. Richard Petz, can we get the SJWs to move to North Korea? Maybe then they would be happy. <laughs> well, we would be happy. Uh, but the thing is, they don't care. Like, I would it's, trade them for the pro-equality protesters, the pro-America <laughs> protesters in Hong Kong. Hong Kong. Well, here's the, here's the problem, though. Uh, and this, I, I just want to point this out because I don't think it's obvious to everyone else, but I know we have a lot of new people. Social justice warriors, they, these people don't want a, they're not building a future. Their goal, and I know this sounds weird because it's, it's, uh, it sounds too crazy to be true, but the only way that you can unite, if you look for uniting principles across these, these groups, and if you look at why, how are they united? In what ways are they united? How are they going to make decisions? And like, how are they going to decide to criticize this but not that? And what are they going to complain about? If you really look at that, the through line is, the inevitable conclusion that you draw is that the through line is their goal is to dismantle Western civilization. Moving to North Korea doesn't accomplish that. They don't want, they're not trying to build their utopia. They're trying to destroy ours. That's what they want. Yeah. They want destruction. They, they're not builders. They're destroyers. They want destruction. They're destroyers. Yeah. They're not going to go build anything. Right. So they don't they're not like, oh yeah, we want another place to build our thing. No, they like they want us destroyed. Uh Marie Buskey, thank you, Marie. Oh, Carter Square Dark. Did I swear? Four beverages to induce intermittent frivolity. <laughs> For beverages to introduce all right, so I have to have a beverage. Uh thanks to Marie Buskey yeah. in, in Milwaukee to induce thank you, intermittent Marie. frivolity. Uh I'm gonna bring some Topo Chico to some who what? Milwaukee. Bring, bring some Texas there. Uh, what, what, what's the word you just use? I don't know this word. Oh, it's a Texas sparkling water. It's oh. yummy. Some Texas, people have of noticed course, that Texas has its own sparkling water because LaCroix is not <laughs> from Texas. Right. We have our own. <laughs> Can you read Why Bothers or no? No, I can't see it. All right. Why bothers? Thank you. Why bother? He says, here's an idea. We should give a half of Mars to SJWs and let them all go there and build socialism. There will be no wrong thinkers there. SJW heaven. You know, like I said, they don't want to build anything, so that's not going to work. But I'm glad you brought up Mars because this weekend, Beverly and I had a conversation about Mars and social justice warriors, believe it or not. So uh, maybe the universe, the stars are in alignment and uh, I am no longer an atheist. The universe is pushing us in the direction of Mars. Uh, my fear, and this is like a stupid fear. Like sometimes I have paranoid fears, and then just I'll just share them with everyone. I'm worried about I'm worried about Elon Musk because he's a pragmatist. He doesn't he's not a principled guy, and if he colonizes Mars, I really don't want 
the collectivist virus, mind virus, to end up off planet Earth. Like, we have to just contain it on planet Earth. We can't contaminate the rest of the universe with the collectivist mind virus. So I'm quite concerned about off-planet civilizations that import the collectivist mind virus. We really need, or that we export them, that mind virus too. We need only colonies of individualists. Um, and they will thrive on their own and they'll be able to come back and uh, teach everyone on Earth how to behave later. Okay. By the <laughs> way, we would have to send them to Mars. Somebody would have to send them to Mars because um, they can't get there when they don't believe that two, two plus, plus two, two equals four. <laughs> Right, yeah. So, two plus two is five. Yeah, if that's how they build their rockets, they're going to have a hard time. Although, Carrie, did you see uh, Michael Monero's uh, – you know how Michael Monero does the um, – he'll record his college professors sometimes? Yeah. He had – he recorded one where the college professor – I'm not kidding. Like, this was in – this was serious. The college professor oh, yeah. was saying that white people should be put on rockets and sent into space. Yeah, I remember that. That was his argument. Um, Racist. Um, okay, what's the next one? Are, are we up none to your biz. Yet? No. None okay. your biz. None your biz says, I love life by telling everyone how to live theirs. Every SJW. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. That is every SJW. None your biz. That's, uh, that's the mentality. Text Terror says, dancing is not fun to me and gives us $2. Thank you, Text Terror. See, I knew we would get along. Uh, where else are we? Okay. What about watching dancing? Do you enjoy watching oh God, dancing, Carter? Worse. Like, uh, Meeg's really? 294. What about people who are good at it? Okay, I don't I like dancing Meeg's. either, Carter. I enjoy talking. I was just pushing buttons and the reaction was wonderful. Okay. Well, I'm glad the button pushing worked. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, people are good at lots of things. I don't, I don't like watching bowling either, but I, I get that it takes skill. Uh, okay. I'm glad there are people okay, who Okay. The next bowl. Ken Lipson. You got that As one. Good. As a new Good. Asia okay. person, we have tons of Trump fans uh, at a pagan's heart is freedom. And I love you guys. Well, we love you, Ken, too. I didn't know there were lots of Trump New Agers, but I guess it doesn't surprise me too much. I don't know enough about New Age, new age I don't stuff. actually – I'll be honest. Um, I'm not sure how to define New Age, so I don't know. The New Age people that I know in California are not Trump supporters. So. Keith the Hack Guy. Thank you, Keith. He says, intermittent frivolity to carry. We can dance if we want to. We can leave your friends behind. Because <laughs> your friends don't dance if they don't dance with their no friends of mine. Yeah, it's men with hats. That's a, yes. It's men we without dance, hats, Keith. actually, isn't it? And I hate to burst your bubble, but I think it's when men without hats. When you come to the unsafe space retreat, we will dance, Keith. Um, okay, let's see. What's the next one? The next one, Katie Bow. The best books of the Bible are the banned books. They reveal too much truth. That's why they're banned. Jesus lays it down in the Gospel of Thomas. Uh, I, I will admit ignorance here. I don't know enough about any the banned books of the Bible. So, um, but you you piqued my curiosity. Thank you for the super chat. Actually, maybe we should get like a biblical scholar on sometimes sometime because I really want. I would to love to. I want to understand how the Bible was assembled. I don't know, like, because I know there was a bunch of writings, and it was, like, hundreds of years after Jesus' death, and they were like, okay, we're going to canonize these writings, but not these. And I don't really know what the other ones were and what they said and how that decision was made. And, like, I think that's fascinating just historically. Um, 
The G. Schultz. What did Carter and his wife dance to at their wedding? God, I don't even know. Did you dance at your wedding? We did like a little bit of shuffling, but weren't, yeah, but I don't remember what we danced. Uh, yeah. She's going to kill me. Thanks for that. Maybe she just won't watch this episode. I hope she's busy. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Francis, Francis Peterson. Peterson. Go ahead. Francis uh, says, thoughts on Christopher Caldwell's age of entitlement. Interviewed on Tucker, Caldwell posits a shadow constitution was created with the CRA in 1964. I have no idea what you're talking about. I'll let Carter take this, but you've another comment. <laughs> you, you presume you Carter knows what he's stuff. talking about. I, I, I do not. Uh, and what's the CRA? Do you know Thank what the CRA you. is? Civil no. Rights Act? Uh, in 64? The yeah. shadow yeah, constitution was created along with the Civil Rights Act in 64? I don't know. That's fascinating. I, I don't know anything about it. Um, we learn a lot from you guys in Super Chat, so when I yeah. go, go back and... You gonna... Christopher Robin? I don't see it. You do that one. Christopher Robin gives us five bucks and says, Love you guys. What do you think of James Lindsay's brain drain where we should start new businesses now to replace the existing running ones? I think it's beautiful. I think it's exactly correct. I think he... Uh, what I love about it, it is the peaceful free market solution. It is the, it's the solution that a voluntarist or a, he won't like this because I don't think he's an anarchist, anarchist. But it's a, it's the solution that a voluntarist or an anarchist would come up which it, up with, which is uh, peacefully ostracize and create your own thing. Um, the thing is, a lot of people are impatient. This, a lot of people are very impatient because they, they, they kind of feel like. Well, it takes a while to build a company and blah, blah, blah. And that's all true. It will take a while and you could fail. And, and that's that's all true. But over time, uh, over time, if your ideas are correct, over time, someone with better ideas will will succeed. Um, <clears throat> all right. I like your name, Christopher Robin. Okay, so next one. Bam Bam Boofer says, was this about SJWs? Okay, Yes, uh, this is a Bible verse, beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves, Matthew seven fifteen. Yes, I mean, I, it doesn't exclusively describe social justice warriors. It's just a personality type. Like we've talked about it, another Bible verse, there's nothing new under the sun. You see this type of false prophet. You see this, this um, tyrant who uh, says that they're coming with benevolence throughout history there's a Plato quote we read before that, um, oh my gosh, here, I was just looking at it today, so I've got it on the tip of my tongue. Uh, here it is. This and no other is the root from which a tyrant springs. When he first appears, he is a protector. Okay, that's that's Plato. And this is C.S. Lewis. Of all tyrannies, a, tyr uh, of all tyrannies, a tyranny sincerely exercise, exercise for the good of its victims may be the most oppressive. It would be better to live under robber barons than under omnipotent moral busybodies. The robber baron's cruelty may sometimes sleep. His cupidity may at some point be satiated. But those who torment us for our own good will torment us without end, for they do so with the approval of their own conscience. I mean, yeah. I think this is all, like we talked about, wisdom pops up over I mean, and over. I, and if yeah. that's not a description of social justice warriors, right? Busybodies who are doing it for your own good. For I your mean, own good. Uh, yeah. yeah. It also re it's reminiscent also of um, <clears throat> 1984, how uh, 
you know, they were, they were quote fixing Winston Smith for his own good. Like it was his, his brain was broken. Like they, they needed to torture yeah. him and do all these things to fix him. It was, it wasn't, they weren't, they don't, they didn't feel like they were being evil. They were, they were fixing him. O'Brien was. Yeah. Fixing broken him. umbrellas. Broken umbrellas just said tarantulas. Yeah. Read Nietzsche's tarantulas. Mm -hmm. It tells you about this personality type. That's really old. You want to read Katie um, Bow? I'll read the next one. Katie Bow. Thank you again, Katie Bow. My CEO wants us to post our racial demographic data on our company website as part of our diversity initiative. How do I convince him that that's a bad idea? Oh, gosh. <laughs> uh, I, wait, uh, I have an idea. Um, yeah. If your CEO is a pragmatist, um, brainstorm ways. I haven't brainstormed these ways, but I'm sure they exist. I can think of a couple. Brainstorm ways in which this opens him up to lawsuits. Um, brainstorm ways in which they cost the company massive amounts of money. He'll get fired and opens up to lawsuits and just say, "Here are the issues with it. Go ask your lawyer. I'm. I. This is not a good idea." Um, and that might work. That might work. Uh, because by by doing this, you're also he's setting his company up to be um, continually critiqued and attacked from the outside for if the numbers don't match up to what people want, you know? Well, and once you've identified, like if you've got someone who's uh, working remotely or someone who's identifying, like saying how they identify, now now they can be more easily discriminated against where people weren't noticing before. Like, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, there's also probably legal risks with respect to uh, like existing laws about how that works. So like just uh, CEOs are generally afraid of getting sued. So do that and tell him to fire his da HR head. Daniel Taylor says, tell your CEO that he will have to include his salary. <laughs> uh, okay. So that's one. Oh, Paige. I wanted to read this one. Paige V gives us $50. It's a big super chat. Thank you, Paige. And says, I'm so happy I'm self-employed. I left the corporate world 28 years ago and never looked back. I have control of my money's destiny and I choose to share it with the both of you. Thank you so much for the generous super chat and your story makes me so happy. I love when people leave, you know, whatever it is that they feel like wasn't right for them. I'm not saying, you know, I know lots of people work in the corporate world, but if it's not for you and your heart is somewhere else, and I like people who, who, you know, go out on their own and are successful and maybe you fail a lot along the way until you're successful, but that's a really encouraging story, doing what you want. So thank you for sharing it. Absolutely. I've got a soft spot for entrepreneurs in my head or in my heart, I guess. So, yep. Uh, yeah. Appreciate it a lot. And thank you for your hard-earned money. Um, okay. The G. Schultz says, New York Times op-ed. Let's scrap the presidential debates. Yeah, I saw that. We called it. We totally called it. And I think... I mean, that doesn't mean they're not going to have it's not going to happen, but they're they're now openly pushing to get rid of the presidential debates. When remember, we predicted there's not going to be any debates. They can't put Biden up unless they do a, a remote virtual debate, in, in which case they could just feed him the answers off screen or they could um, <laughs> they do a deep fake. Biden. I like the deep fake Biden idea because that's basically what Biden is anyway. He's basically a deep fake. <laughs> so. Actually, what would be good about the deep fake Biden is it will be an accurate representation of what you're getting if you vote for Biden. Like, that's correct. He's a deep fake. Yeah. So, uh, I mean that metaphorically. Don't go spreading Alex Jones-like rumors. Okay. 
Uh, do you want to do you want to read the next one? I don't see the next one. You do it. Uh, Verity Renaissance. Thank you. Verity Renaissance says uh, Carl Takrib. Great resource for info on New Age and the area of re-enchantment. Okay, thank you. Um, and Alan Monaghan again sends us a couple bucks and says, uh, Katie Bo, follow James Lindsay, ask him. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> James has got a lot of uh, people reaching out about how to combat this in the corporate culture. He's got a lot of resources there. It's a great idea. Um, and... Um, the reason I didn't want to get too detailed on it, by the way, is James is the stuff that I've seen is is really about getting involved in the, the diversity committees from the beginning and like being a part of that and or or you know pushing back in that way. How do you stop them from doing that specific thing? Is a little bit of a you know more targeted question, but I think he could probably help with that as well. He's got a lot of info. Whew. I think we made it through uh, super chats. I wanted to along those same lines. I'm trying to get my credentials to teach diversity, inclusion, and equity trainings. And uh, and I think that we I'm need sorry. other people in there <laughs> to glitch to glitch the matrix in this way. Yeah, Carter's going to pay for me to go to school to get this I credential. am. We are. Yes. In fact, your donations are going to pay for her. Your donations are going to pay for me to become a die <laughs> indoctrination. Okay, because we need people to glitch the matrix. And it's just a piece of paper and you can get this certification yourself. And I'm going to call on people in the chat. Um, I've mentioned previously, I met a therapist online on Twitter who works with people who have left the social justice cult. If you are a psychologist of some kind, if you are in the academic space, if you are in human resources, if you are, um, if you are someone who's in an area of expertise, where you could be part of the solution and become a glitch in the matrix, please reach out to me. I would like to meet more of you as people are being forced to bring on these experts to indoctrinate in diversity, inclusion, and equity in die. Um, I want to build a community of experts who can be brought in as a Trojan horse and who can actually teach about why this is poison and, and who can preach what Martin Luther King was preaching, which is individualism. You know, what Fred, Frederick Douglass was preaching, individualism, what the what the abolitionists were pushing, what the suffragists were pushing, individualism. So let's, let's, uh, yeah, I know you're smiling. It's a great idea, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> I, I think, I mean, yes, it's an awesome idea. I think it will provide a lot of material. Um, you, I, you might in. actually be able to uh, uh, influence people that are coming into that community um, in a positive way, and you'll have credentials. It'll be great. We can, you can, <laughs> maybe you, you know what? Be. If you're at a company and you feel like you have to hire a die person, you'll have Carrie to go to and be like, oh, this person's certified. I'll, uh, she'll come in and and take care of it. I've met my, I can check the box. Uh, I'm gonna get the certification. Yeah, you can bring me in. Yeah. <laughs> I did. Someone asked if I just I spewed. I did. I like you made me spit water out because I laughed. Uh, <laughs> I couldn't help it. Um, Carrie, I want to. There's there's another thing I want to talk about today. Is that okay? Yes, please. 
Have you seen the Louisville BLM thing? I don't think so. Louisville. I don't know how you say it. Kentucky. Louisville. So, so I said Louisville because I'm an idiot. Uh, Okay. (laughs) There's a section of Louisville called New Lou, which stands for New Louisville. So they're good with the portmanteau over there in Kentucky. And uh, I guess it's recently been gentrified which is not a bad thing. We can have a conversation uh, someday maybe about gentrification. Uh, It's a straw man, not a straw man. It's a boogeyman that isn't a real problem. Uh, In fact, I'll just point this out. Plenty of people in East Palo Alto who were in the, East Palo Alto was a crappy, crappy place for a long time. Cheap, no one wanted to live there crime-ridden. Well, all the gentrification around East Palo Alto means that you've literally got people who selling their homes for over a million bucks and can move somewhere else because the property values have gone up. So it's not the idea that, like, you're getting forced out. It's like, all right, whatever. Anyway, gentrification. Well, as a result of the BLM, the rise of BLM excitement, there were obviously protesters in, in Louisville, just like everywhere else, and they started going around issuing a list of demands to local businesses. You will love these demands. Here's, a, here's, here's what they looked like. Here's a picture of the demands. They look very, uh, they're kind of reminiscent of, I don't know, so, someone like a elementary school kid trying to make a copy of the Constitution or something, right? Like, they, okay. okay, so demands. Uh, By the way, let me just stop you before you even read them. They're always making demands. Social justice warriors make demands all the time. They demand apologies. Mm -hmm. They demand uh, money. They demand resources. They demand X, Y, Z. You know who else makes demands? Hostage takers. Terrorists. (laughs) Right. Well, well, Carrie, um, I think you just totally misunderstand because according to Felix Crittenden, an activist who works with BLM Louisville, he said that the demands and related Nulu social justice, health and wellness ratings, which we'll talk about in a minute, were not meant to be a threat, but were instead it, it, intended to start a conversation with owners okay, no, about the, how their businesses can better reflect and support black people. No. And they start the conversation by breaking <laughs> things and threatening you with force if you don't sign. I don't understand why you don't get the... No, this is, it's called demands. Put it back on the screen. Demands. It's not called conversation, suggested topics. It's called demands. Right. You know who makes demands? Kidnappers. Yeah. Terrorists. Kidnappers make demands. Terrorists make demands. Abusers. Um, you know who the- makes demands? Your authoritarian, abusive spouse. Like, <laughs> it's a demand. There's something very wrong with anyone who's making a demand. <laughs> yeah. For well, the, okay, and from a starting point, this is wrong. Okay. Yeah, of course. And and what I like about this, by the way, we've seen lots of examples of um, them conflating words with violence, but usually it's conflating words with violence in the other way, where they're saying, like, your words are violence. Now they're saying our violence is just words. It's just opening up a conversation. We're just having a conversation. Um, so... Uh, and they did bring violence, so we'll get into that. So here's some here's here are their demands. Actually, there's so they they and have people this point out, but just real quick. Also, children. Several people pointed out children make demands. Oh, that's true. Spoiled children do make demands. Yeah. 
Okay, so here are their demands. I'm actually not gonna read them yet because instead there's a better format for these demands. You can go over to this website, <laughs> boss, uh, and where the S's are dollar signs, it kind of tells you what they're about, right? Uh, they view you as an ATM. <laughs> the boss social justice rating system. So their demands amount to this. They're going around to these businesses and they're saying, and we'll go through what the contract they want you to sign, but they're, they're saying, we want you to sign this contract, which will allow us to put this in your window of your, of your business. And this is our rating system. You are an ally if you meet all our demands. You are complicit if you're meeting some but not all of them, and, uh, or you're failing, you're an F, you failed. And then what they're gonna do is they've got this list uh, of all different businesses that you can go to. Um, wow. And they've, they've got their ratings. Now, I suggest everyone who, if there's anyone near Louisville listening to this show, I suggest you pick out the ones with Fs and frequent them um, and keep make sure they stay Fs. Uh, and, and so Garage Bar, Macaron Bar, Macaron Bar. Um, okay, I'm going to rename these. A, A, authoritarians. <laughs> C, complicit communists. or communists. And F is friggin' freedom. awesome. F is freedom. Freedom yes. lovers. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That I, I immediately went there as well. I, I wanted to rename F for freedom. So yeah, I think we I think we can use the same system. It's a great it's a great system. But I wanna I wanna talk so let's look let's just look at this because there's some this demand letter is amazing. So here's the demand letter. To business owners and stakeholders in Nulu Business District, Nulu Business Association, RE reparations and representation in Nulu Market District. Dear Nulu business owners, blah, blah, blah. The residents of Louisville are standing strong, blah, 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 expressing the destruction your business has caused to lower income communities. Now, let's just let's just review language. I want to just pause and and have a definitional thing. A business is a a person or group of people contractual usually contractually in a relationship who are offering something for sale which you may voluntarily buy or refuse to buy that's what a business is how that is destructive to low-income communities is beyond me in fact it's beyond all reason it cannot be destructive okay so your businesses are destructive specifically those with majority black residents Oh, so the black people are really harmed by people offering things for sale. Okay. Um, we therefore demand representation and reparations in the district where gentrification has taken place. Now, uh, just really quickly, gentrification, um, there are cases in which gentrification is, is um, partially a result of, oops, sorry. Partially the result of, uh, you know, governments. There are, and, and actually in this case, I, th I think there was some weird government stuff going on to, for some housing projects. Uh, but it does, it doesn't matter. Generally, for for these businesses, how these businesses got there. This is how gentrification works. Someone in the neighborhood who's been there, who owns a building, sells or rents it to someone who wants to come into the. That's not. There's nothing harmful about that. There's nothing invasive and there's no need to apologize. You do not apologize to a community because you move in at all. If you move in to live there or bring your business, do not apologize. 
Gentrification is not bad. It is not bad to buy a building or to move into a place. That is not bad. Okay, the policies and process of the revitalization of Nilo have displaced marginalized people from their homes and families have resided. But, so there was, they did, uh, there was the condemnation of a, uh, a, a large um, uh, low-income housing thing that I guess they couldn't afford renovations on. It was condemned and the people had to move, but that's not these business owners' fault. I mean, whatever. Uh, in fact, you could yell at the government about that, but they're going to take it out on the business owners. The process has been happening to black, indigenous, and persons of color at the hands of white. And here we go. They're going to throw in some of the terms to show you what side they're on. As Carrie mentioned before, it's not just about race. At the hands of white heterosexual patriarchy. Since the inception of this nation, we call home. Black folks, with an X, which is an abhorrent term, can't, quote, have their own space when wealthy white folks see an opportunity to make more money. Now, you could make money. You're allowed to you're allowed to outbid them or have your own business, but no. Okay. Gentrification is a pal palatable term that sugarcoats one or more aspect of an oppressive system targeted at black folks for 400 years. Gentrification doesn't target people and it's not oppressive. Gentrification is what happened. Things change over time. Communities evolve. People grow up, they die, they move on. Things decay, things get better. You vote for dumb things, you vote for good things. Things change in your community. The fact that you can't live in your apartment for $100 a month for the rest of your life is no one's fault. Reality changes. Things move on. Sometimes your area become, you become outpriced in your area. That is life. There is no there is no moral law that says you're entitled to never have to move your fucking ass. Okay, so we're here today to demand, and by the way, if you cared about these communities, you might ask why they need to be gentrified in the first place. Why aren't they, why aren't they already prosperous? But we can't ask that question. Here we are today to demand our representation over tokenism. So this is what they want you to agree to. Here we're going to go. Yeah, got to agree to that. You will have 23% black staff, including management in the front house positions of your, uh, of your establishment. And you have to increase that number. Uh, they say accountability roundtable information below. I think it's 5% every six months. That's quite a lot. Retail locations will include a minimum of 23% inventory of black retailers. So you got to buy from black retailers or contribute to... Uh, their organizations, they've got an organ list of organizations in the table. Business owners will require dye training for their staff to can be, be conducted by one of the businesses listed below. So you've got to pay them to train. You're going you're gonna to not only have to do the training, but you are going to pay for it, which they'll get to in a minute. Uh, you got to customize your own uh, display of one of these, these posters, which I showed. You've got to, so you've got to agree to display this, right? Um, and that, that show that you're going to increase awareness and show support for the reparations movement. Um, and nonprofits hey, I, have I to just, submit to I a voluntary backup. What? Sorry. What? I just want to back up for a second. 23% uh -huh. black staff is right. higher than the percentage. The, the population in the U S is 13%. I'm not sure about Louisville. It's probably higher in this notice, area of Louisville. That's probably where Yeah, but it's, but still, the idea that this is a, this is a faulty idea. They do the same thing when they talk about women, and they say women in STEM, for example, should be fifty percent. Women should be fifty percent. 
that's a faulty idea in the first place. It, it means equality of outcome. Even if the, even if the population of women is 50%, it doesn't necessitate that women are represented at 50% in every field or every business that assumes that, uh, women want to go into that field or women want to be in that business. It doesn't allow for human choice. It doesn't allow for individualism and for people to choose what they want to do. It says, no, we're going to force this. And you'll notice they don't even believe this because they don't push for 50% representation of women in garbage collecting, you know, which we've pointed out before. They're, they're, they're the fields that they don't view as uh, powerful, uh, the fields that they look down their nose at, they don't care if there's 50% representation there of women or not. And it's the same thing. So even even if, let's say, the, the, population, the black population in Louisville is 23%, it's still a faulty idea to say there must be 23% represented here. That's just, it doesn't allow for human choice. Obviously, right? Yeah. And And I'll say something that will piss people off a lot more. If the residents of that district were very industrious and uh, liable to be able to hold down a good job and great employees, probably you wouldn't have other businesses coming in and that district wouldn't be suffering from gentrification. So you're going to end up hiring employees to the best person and they may not be in that district. So you might not have demographics that are reflecting uh, of the, the district, even if, you know, even if they're reflective of some greater uh, area that you live in. So, okay, nonprofits in the new district will submit to a voluntary external audit of their board of trustees and take steps towards 20% representation on those boards. Okay, so those are the, those are the things you gotta agree to. You also are acknowledging a bunch of things. I acknowledge that the original original residents of the Clarkdale community, this is so, uh, just to be clear, this was, um, the Nulu district is comprised of what used to be like East Market District in Phoenix Hill, and there's a Clarksdale housing complex is what they're talking about, so the Clarkdale community. Um, so I acknowledge that the Clarkdale community was demolished to make way for Nulu and has been harmed by displacement and the resulting loss of community representation and support. Okay. So you have to acknowledge that that's a problem. I acknowledge my business has played a part and done a harm to the residents. No, don't acknowledge that. That's not true. Displaced are required. This sounds just like the white, uh, the, the, the white, the training for white employees in Seattle that we talked about at the top of the show. Right. They are trying to get you to admit to something you haven't done. Confess you're a witch. Confess mm -hmm. you are a witch. That's right. what this is. Displaced Clarksdale residents are denied the employment opportunities promised by the gentrifiers who destroyed their communities. They didn't destroy your community. You destroyed your community first. If you hadn't destroyed your community, they wouldn't have been able to afford to come buy shit in your community and set up businesses because it would be thriving and rent would be high. Uh, instead, they've been effectively banned... Uh, through economic disparity and intentional policies from the communities they built. Okay, so, um, by the way, like, are they being banned from the communities they built or are the communities being upended? Which is it? Because if, it's, if there are new communities that are being gentrified, then these aren't the ones that they've been built. New ones are being built on top of them. The end. I acknowledge that Clarksdale's original community members were replaced by business owners and clientele uneducated about the history. Probably. Uh, I acknowledge that many of Clarksdale's original residents have repatriated into communities where their presence and identity have not been validated. What does that even mean? What does that even mean? I am therefore committed to participating in remediation for the harm that gentrification has caused. So look, this, this acknowledgement, this is the equivalent of what I was talking about the other day when Congress had uh, big tech companies in front. And I said, I disagree with a lot of big tech companies, but it's, it's reminiscent of this attitude. Apologize for your existence. That's what this is. Okay. Um, and then they go through 
about black representation. We've already talked about these black uh, black employees, but um, and they they get into some detail: black vendors, black employees. But there's also punishments. I want to talk about the punishments for a second because um, you have to go. Oh, when by the way, you to have the, to. Huh? When you get to the end of the point you want to make, can we all? Can I just say a few things about gentrification? Because I might, I probably disagree with you on some things, but. Yeah, let's just go, let's um, go over this first, and we can yeah. have a. I'm happy to have a gentrification right. discussion. So, in attendance, uh, so I'm going to attend these uh, die meetings. I'm going to go to quarterly round table discussions. Um, I'm going to eliminate dress codes for clients because apparently that's racist. I'm going to put the sign repercussions for non-compliance. So here's what we do to you if you don't comply. Um, we're going to reduce your racial index score bias reports to the Better Business Bureau. We're going to we're going to try and use the Better Business Bureau against you. We're going to blast everyone on social media. So we're going to ostracize you from your community. Probably tell everyone you're a racist bigot. We're going to boycott, okay, um, and any business ventures owned by you, okay? So we're going to look at anything else you own. We're going to go after everything. Protests, we're going to have protests, okay? Invasive reclamation, which I believe is called illegal squatting, but I'm not sure. Placement of booths or tables outside your establishment where competing black proprietors will offer items comparable to those offered by you. So they're going to be on your sidewalk in front. So those are your repercussions. And then you sign it, and they have... Here are the trainers. So, Carrie, you can't get on this list. Here are the approved dye trainers. It's got to be one of us. These are the approved. <laughs> These are your extorters. These are the kidnappers. These are people um, extorting you for money. So you got to go pay them. Uh, and then there's a bunch of organizations here. So uh, there's more to say about the story. But now might be a fine time to stop and talk about gentrification if you want to. Well, I just wanted to say I heard what you were saying about uh things change and gentrification is one of those things that I have mixed feelings on and thought mixed thoughts on. And I haven't, I, well, I haven't invested enough time to have a really strong opinion one way or the other, but, um, I definitely, I think there could be, there might be an area of compromise that works to preserve some of the history of a neighborhood and of small businesses um, while at the same time not squashing new development. I just don't know what that those solutions are. You know, I, I used to work on uh, Congress Avenue in Austin and you can see gentrification happening around you there. And, mm-hmm. you know, in the seventies, long before I was there or working there, the Congress Avenue was, people told me, you know, it was just a bad part of town. There were, the, the motel, which has since become a woke hipster hotel, there used to be, you know, prostitutes and drugs and, and, you know, you would go down to Congress to get up to no good kind of, kind of place. And, um, it became, there was one business owner in particular, I forget her name, but she bought a lot of property on Congress Avenue and developed it. And <clears throat> she owned the hotel there, <clears throat> excuse me. And over a period of decades, it became a really high income place to live, you know, million dollar homes now in that area. And the businesses there have all, a lot of the mom and pop businesses are now in the past couple of years have been pushed out. And the mom and pop businesses, by the way, the ones that I know of, and I'm thinking of, they're not even, uh, uh, 
black owned the, the I'm thinking of white owned businesses. Uh, there was a gay couple that owned a jewelry shop that had been there for decades and they just had to move out because the rent became too high. Um, pretty much all the businesses on the stretch where I worked got pushed out over a period of a couple of years because the rent kept going up and they couldn't afford to stay. I mean, I'm talking about your rent being raised 10 times in a year, 10 times what it was, mm-hmm, you know, yeah. and that can happen. And I think it sucks because it does change the neighborhood. I mean, the neighborhood is becoming Congress is now becoming a place of outside um, companies coming in that are not locally owned. Like these chain stores are now moving in and they're building a Soho house, which is this private elite. Yeah. Um, I like Soho houses, but club. Yeah. you know, there's one in New York, there's one in LA. Just, they're building a Soho house. They're building, you know, like it's like a Tiffany's is coming in. So it's going to be like Rodeo Drive sitting in Beverly Hills. So wait, and, I, are you complaining that there's not prostitutes at the hotel and it's not crime ridden anymore? No, and you're sentimental for no, that time. I'm, and is that, I'm just, no, I'm sentimental. No, no, I'm sentimental for the time that came after that. I'm sentimental for there's a sweet spot after the mm. place gets improved. The artists move in. There's like, um, it starts to become revitalized. It's a thriving, unique, interesting community. And then it becomes so unique and interesting that it, it, it goes to a place that's almost too far. That's a place where, you know, I don't want to hang out there anymore. Um, I'm right. just saying it sucks. That's all. So, not so saying it shouldn't it be allowed to happen, but well, right. Okay, but, but that but community it, moves somewhere else, right? I mean, that 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 artist community moves to some other place, right? Um, right. I mean, the thing that the thing that you've got to remember is like to do anything with to 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 implement any of you. So you have a vision for how a place should be. You don't like some kind of change, which is a personal opinion, by the way. Some people don't want the other stuff. They want the new stuff. That's why the new stuff is going in. So you have an opinion about how it should be. And the only way you can change, you can make that happen is by uh, not respecting someone's private property. Like if I own a business on Congress and I want to sell to Starbucks, can I? Isn't it mine? Can't I sell it? Yeah, I agree. I'm not, I'm just saying it sucks. That's all. And I I know that the business owners were told like, like the gay couple I'm thinking of who owned um, the uh, jewelry shop. It was called Turquoise Door. I don't think they found a new location yet. At least last I heard they hadn't. Mm-hmm. You know, they, 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 it was basically like, well, if, if you can't pay the rent, Starbucks can or Mac makeup can right. or whatever. Of course. And it sucks. That's all. I mean, it sucks for them. It's good for Starbucks. It's good for all the people that want a Starbucks there. Like, it sucks for people who care about that particular state of things in the universe at that moment. It sucks. Well, it also, I mean, I like old, I like history. And I like, it It, it sucks for preserving a sense of history and uniqueness. I mean, and That place wasn't that old, right? I mean, in the U.S., how old is our history? I mean, it's like the old Eddie Izzard I mean, joke. Like we, every few decades, we like to this celebrate. Stuff Eddie Izzard says we like to celebrate when, uh, because our history is not that old. It's like th- that joke of his where he says, you know, this hotel has been restored to the way it looked 50 years ago, and we get so excited <laughs> because we don't have castles or anything. But yeah, I don't know. I just, I just think it's a bummer. That's all. Yeah. Well, I look. I I I get that people are sentimental and they don't like change, but. That's an, that doesn't override property rights and individualism. Like people have a right to ex- dispose of their property the way that they want to, and um, you know that that's people just have that right. You you cannot like it, 
right? So Elizabeth says it starts when they let the whole foods in. Yeah, it does. It starts yeah, when I'm, they let the whole I'm not look. In. I'm not saying that I like those areas either. Like I'm not saying that I necessarily prefer it, but I have part of being an individualist is accepting the fact that there are people that do things you don't like and the world changes and things move on. And like people have Snapchat and TikTok and I don't know why, like things happen in the world. Like businesses change, stores that I like go out of business, people grow up, move on, things change. Like that's part of life and like, okay, I get it. I don't like it anymore. I, I get that, but I'm not about to implement my will on other people and force them to behave in ways that they don't want to behave in. Because if anything, well, the thing that needs to preserve, be preserved is our history of individual rights and private property ownership. That's what makes us who we are. Well, I, I agree with some things like, like there was an old movie theater where I used to live in Los Angeles that was trying to become a historical landmark so they could save on property taxes and other benefits of being declared a historical landmark. I think some of those efforts are good. I think it's like a good compromise for you, you don't like those. Okay. <laughs> well, well, because often know. those are used, I mean, often happening. those are used to prevent people from disposing of their own property in the way that they wish. Right. So I buy a house or I buy a movie theater. It's probably an investment. Maybe I'm wanting to send my kid through college 20 years from now. And suddenly a bunch of hippies come along and tell me that I can't sell it because now it's a historic landmark and I've just lost my investment because you like the way that the fucking architecture is on the movie theater. It's despicable well, to me. Well, in this case, no, it was the people who had bought and owned the movie theater that were trying to get it declared a historical landmark so they could continue to operated as a movie theater oh, right 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 they were trying I, I to that. save on the property taxes sure yeah. sure but i'm like often it's used in in other ways right um and the property tax thing like well i don't believe in property taxes anyway so uh, i don't think that would be an incentive <laughs> like okay yeah maggie maggie says um in chat says texas small towns are now seeing an influx of retirees and prices are hop hopping up carrie right. should probably know about that yeah it's even happening in my small town a lot of the really great, oh, there was this great thrift shop that just closed this past year. And, you know, it, everything that's, the things that can afford to move in are the, you know, wine and beer and um, these kind of, it, it's going to become like Congress thing. Look, I mean, here's the sad thing about the free market that I'll say again. I've said it before. Um, the free market doesn't produce the best results by any particular measure. The free market produces the results that the culture supports. So if you got a crappy culture that wants the Starbucks over the cool jewelry shop, guess what you get? Right? Crappy I mean, Starbucks. Right. So, I mean, look, I, I, the, I don't necessarily, I don't necessarily like it either. Like I, I would rather have, I remember the Congress street from a few years ago. It was great. It's sad. I haven't been in a couple of years. I guess I'll be sad when I see South <laughs> Congress. Okay, that that sucks, but um, but you know I I believe in private property individualism, and so uh, you know there's nothing I can do about it. Things happen. Things things happen. Yeah, and even in in my neighborhood, I live in a historic district, and this last thing I'll say, and I know we're, we're that's fine. Um, but there there are a lot of people from California who are currently buying up small homes, historic homes and renovating them and then turning them into permanent Airbnbs. Now, on the one hand, 
I, I love that because they're they're restoring these historic homes and it's a they're adding to the property values and they're making it, it's beautification. They're making it a beautiful place um, and they're bringing in industry and travel. And, and, you know, I've had friends come and stay at, at some of these Airbnbs and that's nice. But on the other hand, you know, it does suck because people who live here can't the prices are going up and they not as many people can afford to buy. I mean, I see both sides of it. That's all. I see people who are upset about it too. And I, I understand why. And then you don't have neighbors. You have these empty permanent Airbnbs with people coming and going all the time. And yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I, I, I Yeah. I want to clarify. I don't, I'm not saying there's no downside. Uh, I'm just saying I accept downside on principle, I guess. is right. really like, Okay. Yeah. There's okay. downside. I, I don't like, I'll accept that on principle. Um, well, thank okay. you for talking about that. Before we, I, there's one, this might be, it, this might seem like um, a negative story, but there's a, I think there's a positive spin on the Louisville stuff and I want to share it because I know you like positivity a little bit. Uh, you want to make sure we don't, we don't end, uh, end on a negative note. Remember how with Constantine Kissin we were talking the other day about um, how people from former Soviet countries tend to be less tolerant of Marxism and socialism? Yes, because they know what it is. Same is true for Cubans. Mm -hmm. So one guy, he this crowd in, in Nulu, uh, his name is Fernando Martinez. He's the owner of La Bodeguita de Mima. Mima was his mother. He owns this uh, little little place. They came up to him. They smashed pots uh, to start the conversation uh, and <laughs> presented him with demands. Because, you know, that's how I usually say, hey, but alternatively, you can present start, demands and smash people's property. Yeah. That's a good way to start. In quotes, um, <laughs> start the conversation. right. So, um, yeah, so that's how they started the conversation with him. And, uh, and he said, no, uh, I'm not going to do this. Um, and he, and then actually the Cuban community, uh, rallied behind him and came to the steps of his restaurant and held up signs like no to socialism and be careful what you wish for and this kind of stuff. Uh, so they, they pushed back. And what I love about this guy, uh, I was reading the website of this uh, this, this restaurant, you're going to love this. <laughs> this guy literally came over on a raft from Cuba. <laughs> the guy that they were trying to pressure. He's not just some Cuban. He literally in 1994, according to his website. So in 1994, now, if you remember post-Soviet union, Cuba started to have a lot of problems post-Soviet union because the Soviet union was propping them up. So when the Soviet union collapsed, Cuba Cuba's economy got worse, and there were food rations and 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 crap going on, and so it, it was really bad in Cuba. So in 1994, due to the changing political environment in Cuba, Fernando and Mima, his mom, uh, and actually his dad is also Fernando, so I'm not sure which this was talking about. Fernando and Mima built a homemade raft, and a homemade raft, and set sail wow. on a journey to the United States. While floating nearly 90 miles, they arrived just outside of Key West, Florida, when they were picked up by the United States Coast Guard after months in Guantanamo Bay. They were accepted into the United States. This is where it all begun, the passion, the sacrifice, and the heart to pursue the dream. So I find people like 
Fernando Martinez. I don't know anything about this guy other than that. But I find the Cubans like him and people from former Soviet bloc countries tend to be more American in spirit than most Americans. And it's a beautiful thing uh, to see them stand up and say, no, this is this is socialism. This is communism. This is yeah. why I left. Uh, and you're not going to bring this here. And he and he stands up and and argues for it. So kudos to Fernando Martinez. If you are in Louisville, go to La Bodeguita de Mima and have some delicious Cuban food. I uh, I really like, what's the sandwich with the ham and the pickle and the uh, cheese and the, damn, is it just called the Cuban probably? That's what it's called. I'm not sure. I'm an idiot. But uh, I'm, yeah, go to that restaurant. I'm thinking of a Monte Cristo, which is probably totally wrong. Um, uh, that's like a French thing, right? The Monte Cristo? Yeah, that's a French thing. Yeah. Constantine Kirsten, since you mentioned him, he shared some a quote this morning from Lenin. And again, you're right. People who have come from quotes. communist countries, they recognize this ideology for what it is. That's why they are the most vocal against it. Um, this is a quote from Lenin he shared that said, we can and must write in a language which sows among the masses hate, revulsion, and scorn towards those who disagree with us. Does that sound familiar to what's happening right now? Maybe just a little <laughs> bit. Yeah. 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 So <sighs> good for this guy. That's all I wanted to share. We can do some super chats. Um, and uh, I forgot um, to say, so I was going to mention this well, earlier. Welcome, well, welcome, Joy. And Joy was asking about making a super chat just for anybody who's new and wants to make one, there should be a little dollar sign in the chat that you can click on. And if there's not, maybe you have to set up your payment info with YouTube. But maybe Ninja can help you with that. I'm not sure. Yeah. Maybe. Anyway. Yeah. Hopefully Ninja knows how to do that because I don't even know how to tell you how to do that. Um, just really quickly, the, I change the sign every day. The reason it's Man for Men, it's a shortcut to um, one of my favorite definitions of civilization, again, by Ayn Rand, which is Civilization is the progress towards a society of privacy. The savage's whole existence is public, ruled by the laws of his tribe. Civilization is the process of setting man free from men. And I think of that, the reason I thought of that quote was I saw the picture of the Cubans standing and the guy standing at his restaurant and there's the mob that's coming after them. And civilization is the process of protecting you from the mob to say, you can do what you want with your property and you don't have to bow to the mob. That's what civilization is. It's, a, it's, it's removing uh, the force uh, of the mob from our daily interactions. Okay, let's do a bunch of super chats, Carrie. unless you got something else before that. No, you go start. I'll be right back. Okay, I will. Uh, I'll do this. There we go. All right, Alan, Alan Monaghan. Thank you, Alan. Alan says, uh, Katie Bow, follow James Lindsay. Ask. Oh, we already did that one. Alan, you get yours read twice. Sorry. Or I don't guess I don't have to apologize for reading it twice, but sorry to everyone else for keeping you waiting. Let me find the next one. Um, <laughs> Why Bother sends us 10 bucks instead of 10 pounds, euros, and says, you can spend this one only on coffee. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Why Bother. Uh, another one from Alan. Alan says, well, crap, Carrie, put this toward your earning of credentials. Subvert the subverters. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Alan. I will thank you, obviously Alan. share that with you. Oh, she's back. Good. Yeah. I am going to subvert the subverters. This yes, is, she totally and you is. Guys should, anybody who's interested in this, do the same. 
Yep. We are gonna we are gonna pay to get her trained up. Uh, Steve Caldwell, thank you, Steve. Steve says he gives us uh, ten pounds, and he says nothing, but just from Steve Caldwell. So thank you. Uh huh. Thank you, Steve. Let's see. Another fifty euro from uh, Lydus SC. Thank you, Lydus. Fifty euro. You know, if you're gonna spend that much money, you should say something. Then we kind of forced to say it on air. You can get your get your message out. But uh, but thank you very much. Uh, let's see. Digital Man, twenty twelve. Great show. Love you guys. Love you too, Digital Man. And based on your name. I need to report on my homework. No one knows I got. I had homework from last weekend, from this weekend, that Beverly gave me because apparently people in chat were very upset that I had not listened to Rush. So I listened to 2012. Uh, I can report. I still do not like the music. <laughs> but I get, I get that the lyrics are basically a retelling of Anthem, which is fine. I like the lyrics, but the music just doesn't do it for me. Um, I've had people recommend Rush to me lately, too. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, but I did my um, homework. I, I, I listened. Let's see. What's the next one? Why bother? Again, uh, five euros from why bother. Why bother says, Vermin Supreme is a better candidate than Biden. After I thought about, I heard someone else uh, talk about it. Was it on Unsafe Space? I don't think so. It might have it been in the chat, though. Somebody oh, maybe. in the chat, I've seen people. Yeah. 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 Thank you. Why bother? Uh, do you want to? Can you see Tax Terra's or no? No, you do it. Tax Terra, thank you, Tax Terra, for two bucks. She says these people need to be investigated under RICO. It it is kind of the mob. I mean, it's not just kind of the mob. The difference between this and the mob is uh, the mob doesn't publish their demand letter on the internet, and they don't actually even write it down. <laughs> <laughs> the mob's smarter, <laughs> and they're like, hey. You know, we're going to do this, but there's not they're not dumb enough to get caught. No, but see, here's the difference. The mob has to hide their extortion. This shows you how comfortable social justice idea ideologues are with being out in the open as if there's nothing wrong with this. This is how accepted it's become culturally is they can behave like the mob in public and on a website telling you what they're doing. That's amazing. That uh, just is. shows the level You're totally of right. acceptance. You're totally right. It, it's the accept. The mob's been accepted. Their mob has been accepted. By the way, I apologize. And I was saying 2012. It's 2112. People are mad at me. I'm getting hissed at, and Beverly's screaming. I know. I said 2012. 2112. Okay. I well, don't worry. Don't worry, <laughs> Carrie. Jeez. Uh, patience. Patience. Why bother? Another ten bucks from Why bother? Thank you, Why bother? Why bother says computer science pays a lot in my class was about 20% women on uh, BS level and 0% on master's. You can guess what ratio was in PhD program. How can you square equal representation in the workplace with this? Well, obviously uh, the college system and probably computer science itself is a tool of white patriarchal oppression. I don't see why you don't understand that, why bother? It can't be that people have different preferences on average. That's not possible. Uh, let's see. I'll do the next one. Let's see. Tax Terra is the next one. You got her? Tax Terra, thank you, says the problem with gentrification is when the local government uses their power to force property sales so they can expand their tax base. Yes. On that, I agree completely. And I, that's why gentrification is a messy issue because often the local governments are involved in gentrification for various reasons. 
Um, and that's, that's one of them. And obviously that I oppose uh, because I'm just taking a principled stand on individual rights and private property and, and wherever that takes me, that's where it takes me. Um, next one, you want to do that? Charity Renaissance says, Carter, Karen Carter, what are your Myers-Briggs personality types? Uh, I am most often, I get INFP. I'm usually INTJ. Uh, I think one time I got something different, but I'm usually, I mean, that shouldn't surprise anyone. Uh, I think somebody predicted what you were accurately. I mean, yeah. sometimes I get INFJ, but most of the time I get INFP. Uh, okay. Jeanette. Thank you, Jeanette, for the big super chat. She says, always great to catch you live. Have a great week, everyone. I hope you have a great week as well. It was good to see you, lady. Um, good to start off the week talking to you guys. So you want to do Connor's? Oh, I don't see it. You do it. Uh, well, it's for you. Connor Astron sends us five bucks and says, hello, Carrie. I'm a TA and researcher at the CSUF psych department. How should contact you? Uh, yes. speak, at un- speak at unsafespace.com and, and, and that'll get to Carrie. And it will get to me. Yeah. Email me at speak at unsafespace.com. Cool. I want to meet more people who want to who want to become glitches in the matrix. Yep. <laughs> All right. I anyway. think we made it through super chats. Uh, I, I had notes to talk about something else, but we don't have. I mean, it's, the show's been long. I think it's. Yeah. I think it's time. So, um, I think we should wrap it up. Carrie, do you have any final words of frivolity? Uh, have a good weekend. Somebody says, Carrie, you're an extrovert. I, I don't know about that. See, you, you see, you see me in one context. So the I, they're talking about the INFP thing. Yeah, no, I know. I don't know. There's, isn't there yeah. a difference between like outgoing and extroverted? And there's, there's a, there's a, there's a distinction, right? Extroverts get their batteries recharged by being with other people, but you can be an outgoing introvert, which I think you are probably. I am an outgoing introvert. Yeah. I yeah. get my batteries recharged by myself. Usually. Yeah. Um, Okay. Have a great weekend. Join us for book club. It's it's Monday. So just have a great week. I was about to say have a great weekend also, but it's, (laughs) yeah, it's not just you. (laughs) Have a great weekend. Every day is the weekend. (laughs) Anyway, that's, I don't have anything wise to leave on. I've enjoyed it. My brain's uh, tired to spend two hours, more than two hours. And, uh, Talk to you later. Bye, Carter. All right. Have a good one. See you later. Thanks for watching. If you're new to the channel, we have a deep content library that includes interviews with everyone from Mike Cernovich to Megan Murphy. So go check it out. If you'd like to see more, please consider supporting the show by visiting unsafespace.com slash donate. You can find us on all the major social media platforms, at least for now, and you can find a community of like-minded individuals on our Unsafe Space chat on Telegram. See you there. Warning, this is an unsafe space. Dangerous ideas have been detected. The content of this production has not been authorized by the cathedral. Pay no attention to it.
For your protection, the following co-conspirators have been unpersoned and marked for cancellation. Please avoid any contact with these individuals. Using social justice math, I have calculated a triangle sadness unity spiderweb chance that these are all Russian bots. If you think about it, no one should be allowed to express opinions. But don't. Think about it, I mean. That's not your job. Thinking has been scientifically proven to be less efficient than compliance. Marxists seem so nice. Do you really think they would lie to you? That last line is fake news. Please disregard it and return to your safe space immediately. There will be cake. 